Hey everybody and welcome back to another episode of the Fighting Films Podcast. As always, I'm one of your co-hosts, Chris. Um, me and my two friends, Jess and Stefan, we like to take two movies that have something in common and pit them against each other or just talk about their similarities or just end up liking them and talk about them. Um, Stefan, tell everybody who you are. You are the creator of this wonderful show. Yeah. Well, I'm Stefan. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Scream Forever One. And uh, yeah, I follow everything that Chris Nachipa does. And uh, yeah, I'm really excited for tonight's episode. Yes, can't wait to get into what we're talking about. And Jess, um, you had mentioned before this, and I wanted to remind everyone, this will be the last episode of our Spotlight on Women's Month, and we're actually recording this episode on International Women's Day. Um, Jess, you know, tell everybody who you are and what you do on this wonderful, awesome show. Uh, my name is Jess. I'm just here for the ride, and I'm the one you talk to when you hop on the social media sites. So on yes. Facebook, we are Fighting Films podcast and on twitter we are fighting films cool and this episode is one of our director spotlights so sometimes we come up with movies that were you know released the same year and seem to be ripping each other's stories off or seem to be adapting the same type of source material or just are really oddly similar for no reason these movies not only being similar in genre were also directed by the same person so stefan tell us what two movies we're talking about in this director spotlight we are discussing Basic Instinct and Showgirls, and not only the same director, Paul Verhoeven, but the same writer, Joe Esterhaus, as well. It's crazy. Um, Jess, when did you see these movies for the first time? Oh, gosh. I saw Showgirls a while back because um, I really liked you know, Saved by the Bell at one point in my life uh, before we found out Zach Morris is trash. And yeah. <laughs> um, Great channel. Great show. Yeah, well, I mean, he's, he's pretty gross. Um, oh, yeah. And he does not get better in the reboot. And I, I always kind of liked Jesse's, so I was like, hey, I should check this out. And it was very different from what I was expecting. Oh, yeah. That's wild. Now, now, uh, Stefan, I, you know, I've assuming all three of us are, are close in age, but I mean, looking back on when Basic Instinct came out, it was 1992. I was eight when this movie came out, but I remember I, I didn't see it when I was eight. Oh, God. Uh, you know, there were there were definitely movies our parents showed us that they shouldn't have. <clears throat> the crying game <clears throat> but um uh, basic instinct was definitely yeah little jesus and the little monsters is a scar event horizon event horizon my mom, my mom covered my eyes during the um the suicide scene she's like yeah. stefan don't look literally but it, but at yeah. eight years old i mean i knew what this movie was in popular culture well known for because everything made fun of it um Showgirls was a bit more of a conundrum, right? Showgirls was the the biggest NC-17 movie ever with a wide release. And, you know, this was the movie that every, you know, when it came out on video, everybody wanted to, like, figure out a way to see, you know, because mm -hmm. we were young and kids are gross. And, and two, because that's the way they build it, right? You know, the movie was advertised as this thing you shouldn't be seeing with the girl from Saved by the Bell doing the stuff you shouldn't be seeing her do. And, um... I don't know. It, it's going to be wild to talk about them. Uh, were, did you guys have the same memory of it? Just like these being two huge deals when they came out. 
Um, I I suppose. I mean, I remember both of them mainly from their. They they both have really striking uh, cover art. Yes, they do. Where I, I remember them both from there, and uh, uh, I first saw. Uh, Basic Instinct. I'm pretty sure I just rented it one one night. I think it probably about around 2006. I want to say I just really wanted to finally see it. And then Showgirls. I first saw on uh, <laughs> the the TV version on VH1. Oh, fantastic. how much do you know about that? Oh my God, it's like. With the horrible dubbing, I, I sent you the clips. Did you see any of? Oh no, no, it um, brought me oh, right back because that's oh, yeah. first, that's the first way I saw it too. Right. So that the clips and like the painted on bras that looked like Who Framed Roger Rabbit. <laughs> yeah, they, they spent so much money doing that TV. I show. know. For what reason? Like For honestly. What? And I I finally saw the full NC-17 version in Montana when I was uh, visiting my mom. Uh, She lived right by a movie gallery, so I would rent movies all the time. And I was just the, within the first five minutes, I was just laughing my ass off. And and like, this is wonderful. and, And that's the thing, you know you know we, we we do need to talk about why these these movies are alike outside of paul verhoeven but i mean we're, we're all adults sitting here in a room B- basic instinct is definitely uh, a lot more serious of a movie it lands a lot more serious than showgirls oh, yeah but showgirls being an nc-17 rated movie i mean i'm like you know i, I don't sit around and you know watch a ton of x-rated stuff but we've all seen a lot of it in our lifetime this movie is tame oh, with a capital t porn. but you know what i mean though this mm-hmm. movie is tame with a capital t right like in in comparison i mean it's it's the people that are doing it and the scene that we shouldn't have scenes like it in movies anymore that you know what i'm talking about that you know just oof yeah i mean i guess it's more like just the the general like pervasiveness of the nudity yeah, I'll, I'll give you that. out it is. And there there was um there was an R-rated version made uh for for home video so like Blockbuster and Hollywood Video could carry it. I don't know right. if Hollywood Video did NC-17 movies, but um They did. Okay, yeah, so like not for Blockbuster. Mm. What was that just? So, I said not that I remember. Oh, really? I, I thought yeah. the ones around here, that might have been like a franchise thing, too, like where Blockbuster couldn't even if they were a franchise. But Hollywood Video, I think, had different rules. I could be wrong. Well, I know the one that we used to go to didn't have a uh, sectioned off red curtain area. So, I don't <laughs> yes, know. yes, the the creepy room, as it were. <laughs> Which I'm just like, you know, those those like the, the back rooms, as they call them. It's like just drive a little further and go to an adult store. That's yeah. what I say. And then there's less there's there's less shame, you know. There's Better not gonna be selection. Oh god, yeah. yeah. Oh god, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and, now, then, and then you go and then you go to the adult store that still has a section like that and you're like, what is in there? Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, is that is that where, like, the animal costumes are? <laughs> it's the really creepy dungeon porn. No, no, no. Yeah. We went to a place, a weird aside, we went to a place called the Museum of Sex in New York City. Have you guys heard of this? No. Um, I think I've seen pictures from it. It's fascinating. 
You know what I mean? Because it it's it's a it's a museum. It, I mean, granted, it's it's a museum full of pornography, but it's it's a museum, and um, it goes through everything and treats it all with respect, which I think is really cool. There's no like shaming involved in any of it. But I remember my wife and I were in New York for a trip, and we went there, and we're just walking around like this is wild because it's like. You know, here's this room full of TVs, and what are they showing? Every celebrity sex tape that's ever been released on a constant loop. <laughs> you know, you're sitting there watching. It's like an art installation. I'm like, wow, Colin Farrell's is boring. <laughs> like, nice. Anyway, he seems like the type to get down to business. No, that's what I mean. It was just like it was, you know, like just two regular people. There was Going nothing. Yeah, there was nothing like, you, you You know, some of them, you're like, oh, these people are putting on a show. You know, that one. Yeah. <laughs> um, Pam and Tommy, but yeah. Yeah, and and Jess, do you, um, you remember kind of the story behind where I showed you uh, Basic Instinct? What prompted it? No. Oh, it was after we just watched uh, Don't Fuck With Cats. Oh, <laughs> that's amazing yeah mm -hmm. yeah yeah we we did that <laughs> yeah if you if you don't know that if you don't know the reference to basic instinct with that watch don't fuck with cats immediately after this it's brilliant yeah it's wonderful um, i mean so quite honestly you could watch just the third part and be fine and yep. know the whole thing <laughs> true so, um, guys, outside of the Paul Verhoeven and Joe Esterhaz connection, which, oh, man, like, it, it's almost like they just said, we're untouchable. We can make every erotic thriller ever made and then did Showgirls <laughs> and it went, oh, uh oh, <laughs> but um, what, what else? What, what else is really similar about these movies? Because there's things that Basic Instinct does well that Showgirls seems to forget how to do well. But also, I feel like Showgirls... Um, is intentionally trying to be campy where basic instinct is trying to be more of a drama. And so how else are these similar? Let's talk about that. I mean, I would say they both involve, um, uh, strong. Well, I guess, I guess Catherine Trammell is not, is more of an antagonist, but they both have uh, strong female leads, but they're not necessarily you know, in a positive light, which that is a staple of Paul Verhoeven films, is deliberately unlikable uh, protagonists, if you yeah. want to call Catherine Tramell a protagonist. I would. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I would, too. Or an anti-hero, almost. It's yeah. like, a, you know, it's like, because I love that the movie keeps a lot of her shit ambiguous. Like, as a viewer, you go, oh, yeah, this is so her. You know, but then the movie never comes out and gives you that um, satisfaction of knowing. And I think that's really cool. You know, I mean, I, I would say it pretty much does at the end. Yeah, but I like that it's like a wink, you know, more than mm -hmm. it's a uh, you don't you don't see her commit anything. Right. It's all it's all just it's like watching an episode of Unsolved Mysteries where you're like, it was totally that guy. <laughs> and they never tell it you. It was. It was all implied, and all they had was circumstantial evidence. Yes, it's perfect. Right. It's perfect. Um, but yeah, what I mean, definitely the strong female characters, um, the 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 idiotic, able to be led along male characters for sure, which is very realistic, <laughs> <laughs> if, if, mm -hmm. if, if you ask me. <laughs> the, Thinking the, with your dick. 
the interrogation yeah. scene in Basic Instinct. I forgot outside of the thing in the interrogation scene, which is the thing everyone jokes about. I forgot how brilliantly written and framed, especially the reactions of the guys interrogating her. It and really how every is. word yeah. and facial expression, they are just sweating and shaking. Mm -hmm. And um, and, and that's, we will talk about it. And no, and that's all of striptease, right? That's basically the whole. <laughs> I mean, it's not striptease, showgirls. That's basically the whole movie, right? Is is that scene? Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, no, that's awesome. So uh, with that, we move into the first release, which is Basic Instinct. And Jess, take it away. Okay, so there's a lot in this movie. There's a <laughs> lot going on in this movie. Yep. So um, I pulled up my old buddy Wikipedia here. And yes, I donate money to them, and you should too, because I know you use it too. Um, so I'm going to actually use the Wikipedia plot they have and intersperse my notes, because there's a lot going on in this movie. <laughs> Sound good? Yeah, Absolutely. Right. All right, so it says, in San Francisco, homicide detective Nick Curran investigates the murder of retired rock star Johnny Boz, who has been stabbed to death with an ice pick during sex with a mysterious blonde woman. And so in this version, um, I did watch the unrated version, not yes. the rated R, um, because I just, you know, I like to be able to see everything. No pun intended. Um, <laughs> but in this scene, um, they call in, you know, this Nick Curran. And it really shows me how far forensics have come. Um, they, uh, to see any, like, um, fluids on the bed, they have to spray stuff. But then they have to put on these red glasses. And I'm like, wow, like Luminol is not that old. Like yep. you just mm -hmm. hear about Luminol so much. And I, I'm really into true crime. And so I hear about it and they're like, and there's this stuff that made this light up and it's called Luminol. I'm like, yes, it's Luminol. We all know Luminol. But apparently it's not that old, which, you know, really makes you think. And, you know, going through the things in this movie, like they didn't have um vicap to you know do different things and try to catch the people with their dna or things like that and so it's just it's wild sitting here in 2021 you know this movie that's what almost 30 years old wow like, yep. <laughs> like just thinking that they didn't have a fraction of what we have to work with in forensics now so it's it's pretty kind of cool and interesting to me. Um, now, Nick's only suspect is Boz's bisexual girlfriend, crime novelist Catherine Trammell, and she has written a novel that mirrors a uh, crime that happened in her past. And in meeting Catherine, um, she is the second woman we meet, no, third woman we meet in this movie. The first one, we don't see her face, but she is blonde. The second one is blonde haired and blue eyes. And the third one is blonde hair and blue eyes. And then the fourth woman we meet directly after has brown hair and brown eyes. And it sets up the trope of the carefree blonde versus the needy brunette. Yep. Mm -hmm. like you know Catherine is just very laissez-faire like yeah whatever you know I know what I'm doing I'm in charge 
you know, I I could wrap you around my finger if I wanted. Um, but this brunette, who is the uh, police therapist, psychologist, uh, Dr. Beth Garner, who Nick has had an on and off affair with, basically in their first conversations she's like you know i miss you i want you back da 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 and just pleading with his with her eyes and this and that and it's like whoa girl calm down like professional boundaries seriously yeah like there's there's a time and a place for this and this is not it <laughs> yep <laughs> so um in learning about Catherine, we learn that she has deceased parents, a deceased fiance, and now a deceased boyfriend. She's she's kind of racking them up here, it seems. So it is concluded that either Catherine is the murderer or someone is attempting to frame her. Catherine is uncooperative and taunting during the investigation, smoking and exposing herself during her interrogation. Now, before that, um, when Nick and Gus, Nick's uh, partner, go to pick her up, we um, learn that she is a nudist. She does not like to wear underwear. You know, <laughs> underwear, who cares? Um, what does it do so, for you anyway? Come on. Right, right? It just gets smelly and dirty. Just gets in the way. Um, <laughs> she goes to this interview, and she's sitting there with uh, five men in the room answering different questions and she goes to have a smoke and they say oh this is a non-smoking building and she said what are you going to do charge me with smoking and at one point you know just to make sure she has everyone's attention she uncrosses her legs and recrosses them showing everybody her lady bits and uh definitely has the attention of everybody i have to put in here that Wayne Knight yeah. makes a nice yeah. little, you know, has a nice little role in this movie. And actually, I think it is the least annoying and smartest role I have ever seen him in. <laughs> Funny enough, I I read that this role got him the role in Jurassic Park. Wayne oh, Knight, wow. it, it mm -hmm. always surprises me because there's, there's a few times in his career where he showed up and you go, oh, wait, this guy's like, good and this is yeah. one of those scenes because yeah he he remember like his character on seinfeld was definitely i mean he was the villain of seinfeld right that was the whole point of newman was he was the antagonist yeah. mm -hmm. to all of these terrible people and um in this he definitely like plays up the like skeevy like guy that like he's not he's usually like a, a butt of a joke and in this it's like he's just as devious and gross and toxic as the rest of the guys in the room and well as the rest of the guys in the room but he's not actually that skeevy yes you know? you're right you're he, right you're right he plays a very smart lawyer role yes um, before nick goes to get um Catherine to interrogate her he straight up has you know a whole like paragraph of lawyer speak lawyer jargon that of stuff that he needs to you know do and stuff that she's going to deny and how things are going to play out and this whole thing and he says it straight on with conviction even voiced like it is 
great. Yes. Like, mm-hmm. I have only ever seen him in, you know, Jurassic Park and Seinfeld and, you know, this nerdy, nasally, obnoxious role. And honestly, this, you know, shed him in a new light for me. I think he did really fantastic. And yes, he was a little skeevy in the interrogation room. But I mean, most straight guys, if, you know, yep. a woman decides to show it off, they're going to look. The, he, you know? he does an incredibly good job um, of facial expression that shows oh gosh, he's cracking, yes. shows he's cracking yeah. under pressure. But his voice is very even keeled. It reminds me a lot of that bit in Jurassic Park where the system's shut down and he's talking to um, Hammond and giving him the, oh, the thing just has to reboot and, um, and I'm going to go up and get uh, a snack. Does anybody want something from the soda machine? And he's like, his mouth is like parched. And it's like, you sit back and you go, Wayne Knight, Wayne Knight, I mean, he's a character actor and he's still working. He shows, I mean, the reason we don't recognize Wayne Knight anymore is he got his stomach stapled, I believe. And so oh. he's he 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 got the surgery I think John Popper got the guy from Blues Traveler yeah and um maybe it was like the that I forget what the thing's called the I want to say Nuvering but that's not forgetting no. fit <laughs> you know what I'm talking about the, the the lap band the lap band there we go oh okay and, um, uh you know so he's showing up in things and I had to double check back and go that was Wayne Knight. Like, holy crap, mm-hmm. you know? I guess I haven't seen him lately. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was it was fascinating. But yeah, no, he's fantastic in this. Yeah. Like, there's, there's, you know, you were saying about his facial expressions. There's really only one point where he actively looks desperate, like, I want that. But, you know, as soon as the view is gone, you know, he sits back and goes back to his lawyer yeah. mode. He turns his head um, to the other guys, yeah. Yeah, and continues the interview, because that's all they can do, um, unless they want to arrest her for, you know, lewd behavior or, you know, nudity or whatever. So she has an alibi, passes a lie detector test, and Nick discovers Catherine has a history of befriending murderers, including her girlfriend Roxy, who killed her two younger brothers on impulse when she was 16, and Hazel Dobkins, who killed her husband and children for no apparent reason. Yeah, like, (laughs) she, uh, mostly in the interview, I'm gonna jump back to that real quick, is she is talking to Nick. She is playing cat and mouse with Nick. You know, and she seems to know stuff about Nick. Like, she has no interest in any other guy in the room but Nick. And it is all about Nick. So she's playing a little game of cat and mouse. Um, But what I thought was so funny is they were watching her... um, Her... um, lie detector test which i mean in 2021 we know that people can fool it and it's not really reliable anymore but back then it was gospel you can't beat this machine and that's literally what the lie detector uh guy says like you can't beat the machine like you cannot fool the machine so i mean they just have to go by it so um we learn that nick has accidentally accidentally, excuse me, shot two tourists while high on cocaine during an undercover assignment, attends counseling sessions with police psychologist Dr. Beth Garner, uh, which we talked about he's had uh, an on-and-off-again relationship with, 
and Nick discovers that Catherine is basing the protagonist of her latest book on him, wherein the character is murdered after falling for the wrong man. Now, Nick has also learned <laughs> that Catherine has bribed Lieutenant Marty Nielsen of Eternal Affairs for information from Nick's psychiatric file and that Beth, 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 sorry, had given it to Nielsen after he threatened for Nick, uh, threatened to recommend Nick's termination. Now, uh, Nick assaults Nielsen in his office and um, later becomes a prime suspect when Nielsen is killed and <coughs> Catherine and when he deteriorates and they find out that he, you know, tried to beat up Nielsen, he is put on leave. Um, now, pretty much before this happened, like, they wanted him following Catherine. And uh, that evening, like, before he uh, got the got the assignment to follow Catherine, he fell off the wagon. Like, when he went in and saw this psychologist, he was <coughs> free of alcohol, free of drugs, hadn't had sex, like, he was dry as a bone. And in one night, like, he fell off everything. Like, um, he got into a fight in the bar, he had ordered a couple of drinks, and basically, he and Beth Garner, the therapist, uh, went back to his house, and he, you know, gave her some rough sex. So, um, the next day, he is given the assignment of following Catherine Tremell, and he does a horrible job. Yep. Oh, my word. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, she's in a very noticeable car. Like, it is a Lotus. It is gorgeous um it is black it is sleek it is sexy but she's like driving down speeding going around cars and he is literally less than two cars behind her and he's jumping cars too to keep up with her to the point where he almost runs headfirst into i want to say a coach bus because he's trying to keep up with her and it just it is absolutely ridiculous like I don't know how you got to be a detective if that's your following method. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I know exactly what I'm doing. Do you? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, probably not. So Nick and Catherine begin a torrid affair uh, with the air of a cat and mouse game. So a bigger cat and mouse game than when they were in the uh, interrogation. Um and it turns out Catherine is kind of turning around and following Nick, too. And she keeps showing up in his apartment, which is no surprise because nobody is locking their doors in this movie. Right. Anybody notice that? I was like, what is going on? Um, nobody's locking their doors. It's, you know, California. I'm like, oh, come on now. There's, there's got to be some crime there. But, like, you know, she shows up at his apartment a few times, and, you know, at one point, they keep talking about ice picks. And now everybody has an ice pick, because that is the murder weapon of Johnny Boz, who died in the beginning, well, tied to his bed. He was uh, stabbed with an ice pick, and apparently they're, what, a dollar eighty-two at Kmart? <laughs> right, I can't help um, but chuckle at that. <laughs> I'm sorry, but do either of you guys have an ice pick? No. No. Nope, I don't have an ice pick either. So 
I I don't know how ice picks were so common. It's got to be it's got to be some um commentary from the writer on like semi well-to-do people or people that run in this circle, you know, cuz it's like it's definitely to me a thing that says I like to go buy big hunks of ice when I have drinks. You know, like, cause, cause like why, why else? Like, how is it, how is an ice pick at all practical? Right. It's just like, it's just to look like a bad, you know, it, it's kind of like a straight razor shave. Like it's one of those things where it's like, I'm going to have this dangerous freaking thing around because it looks badass and I have to hack off my ice to have my scotch <laughs> on the rocks. You know, yeah. I mean, Catherine said she liked it because she liked rough edges, but <clears throat> <clears throat> <laughs> For her but pleasure, I, as it were. Yes. I, I don't see why everyone would have one, for that matter. And they are very different types. There's, you know, fancy ones and crappy ones. And I don't know. They're kind of all around in this movie. So um, at one point, uh, Catherine tells Nick that she's going to be at this uh, club downtown. And Nick shows up. And he is dressed in a sweater. I don't know. <laughs> a really low neck sweater. He's he's in a V-neck sweater, which okay, I get. And I know he's not the youngest guy out there. But clubs are hot. There are a lot of people. And kind of the point of the club is to not wear a lot of clothing. So it's it's just kind of silly that he shows up in a sweater. He's um, he's just trying to more efficiently release his scent. That's that, <laughs> you know, that whole like, oh, yes, women come to me. But yeah. behold my musk. <laughs> oh. I got nothing. <laughs> I'm like, maybe if you're trying to like keep it all in and then you take it off and there's a big cloud of musk, maybe. What was the, what was the, Dane, the Dane Cook joke? Even though I hate Dane Cook now, but that joke, the, you, you know, you, you don't shower for a couple days. You show up to work in the big Bill Cosby sweater to keep it all in. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I, I love me some classic Dane Cook. So, yes. I'm oh, gonna... yeah. He just he just turned out to be a shitty person, but he was funny. Yeah. I mean, he had his time. He did. Um, so anyway, Nick shows up to this club, uh, witnesses Catherine doing coke and doing coke with Roxy and another man in the men's room. And I uh, I have to uh, mention that, like, there's a party in the men's room. Like, clubs I go to, the men's room is separate, the women's room is separate. There's a bouncer outside making sure everything stays separate. Not mm -hmm. at the club. <laughs> You clearly, Jess, aren't familiar with the men's room at uh, the gay 90s. Yeah. I have been inside it. Oh. Um, <laughs> just not often. It's funny. The the only, I've only been to two gay clubs. Two? Maybe three? But um, they all had, um, uh, I mean, this was in the last 10 years, too. But all the bathrooms were, who gives a crap? Like, as far yeah. as who went, which makes sense, I guess. But I will say the bathrooms in those places definitely reminded me of the bathroom in this movie. Like, okay. <laughs> but sure. but that's uh, that, and maybe the bathroom in my junior high um, Catholic school. 
because that is the first oh. time I saw cocaine in my lifetime. Was wow. a teacher was a teacher and a student doing it in the bathroom. Yep. Wow. And oh. wow. Uh, yeah. Can we can we touch on can we touch on how like insanely nineties that club scene is? Just yep. everything about it. Yep. <laughs> Yeah, it it is definitely very '90s. Um, I mean, Stefan, if you want to talk about that, you totally can. Sure. I mean, just like the between like the clothes, the music, the cocaine, <laughs> all the cocaine. Yeah, it's just it's just like it's so ridiculously '90s. Yeah. Um, now I actually uh, jumped around in my notes, but um, beforehand he was trying to look up a person that uh, Catherine had told him about before that she went to uh, college with a counselor, first and foremost. And uh, the counselor, when he went to look it up at the office, oh my gosh, there was one computer in the entire place and it had a black screen with green, like, font. Like, neon green font. Oh, I haven't seen something like that in so long. Right. Oh my word. And to go hand in hand with that, later on, um, Catherine is printing out her book and <laughs> Nick happens to read part of it, but this printer, right. oh, this printer and paper... Oh my word! It takes you back paper. to elementary school. Oh my word! The paper just is all stuck together, and it is perforated. Dot so matrix. Once, right. once you reach, you know, the end of your actual sheet, you tear it off. But then the ends. <laughs> the ends of the paper have these perforated, like. Uh, indents, um, edges, and you you would have to rip them off for it to actually look okay. And oh, oh, I remember ripping those off, and they were the biggest pain in the ass. So, yeah. <laughs> fu funny thing about every time I see that, it brings me back to Blockbuster because even in two thousand eight, when I was leaving that company, that's how all of the daily, um you know, store operating, you know, how we did stuff you print as a store manager at the end of the night came out on. Oh, and gosh. the Bend, Oregon store still prints their dailies out on a dot matrix print. I was just going to ask if they still did that. <laughs> I was just going to ask that. me up. Oh, my gosh. So, um, after, well, actually, uh, before um, Nick goes to the club, uh, I wanted to mention that we meet an interesting gentleman who is an internal affairs investigator who works for Detective Neeson Nielsen. Um, and I actually have him as a that guy actor. Ding, ding, ding. That yep. guy. Um, <laughs> I am talking about Mitch Pelleggi. Pelleggi? Ah, um, yes. Yes. And mm -hmm. we know him from Basic Instinct, as we're talking about, we know him as Skinner in the X-Files. Hmm. We know him as, you know, Walker in the new Walker, uh, Bonham Walker in the new Walker TV series. Um, he's been in a ton of stuff. I mean, like, he was in a couple episodes of American Horror Story. I was just like, going to say. 
he has been all over the place. He was in the Dallas reboot. He's been in Sons of Anarchy, Grey's Anatomy. Like, this guy is all over the place. He was on Supernatural, Medium, Castle, like, everywhere. So you would probably recognize this guy, and that's why he qualifies as a that-guy actor. I just mm-hmm. I had to talk about him. I saw him. Uh, he was in, you know, The Lone Gunman before The X-Files. Was that before The X-Files? Um, I know it was around The X-Files. Oh, it looks like he had a part on the original Walker, Texas Ranger as well. <laughs> that tells you how long he has been in the game. Like, Didn't everybody have around. a part on the original Walker, Texas Ranger? Okay, he had a part on the original Dallas. No shit. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going back. This is 83 to 90. Like, he was on an episode of Dragnet in 1989. Like, he was in Return of the Living Dead 2. Woohoo! Like, he has been around a long time. He was on an episode of the A-Team. Like... (laughs) Damn. Yeah. That guy has been around a while, and he is my that guy actor of this movie. Um, but yes, definitely one of his more recognizable roles was Skinner in the X-Files. And that's probably the biggest role you would recognize him from. Again, before Nick went off to the club, because I am jumping all over the place, um, Nick had an interview, too, very much in the same vein as Catherine Trammell asking him, you know, a good amount of the same questions. And uh, he lights a cigarette, and they say there's no smoking in here. And he says, what are you going to do, charge me with smoking? It shows you how progressive San Francisco is, you know, how, like, they had that no smoking ordinance, and it was, like, in, in, like, 92, 91. Well, this was a federal building, so I completely understand, you know, a federal building with, you know, federal files and Supreme Court documents and all that stuff that they don't want to go up in flames because it's not on the Internet yet or in computers. Um, Did anyone else's elementary school still have ashtrays in the bathrooms? No. Mine did. Not that I can recall. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) You're like the same age as me. Just I know the place you go. Well, it was just like all of the schools were old and converted (laughs) buildings. Like my elementary school was a converted parish center. And, Ah. you know, everybody in there Mm -hmm. smoked like I remember in elementary school walking by the teacher's lounge and still having like the cloud of smoke coming out of it. You know, wow, it's wild. Like, yeah, no, that. That wasn't allowed here. Um, nope. My elementary school was in a high school, and none of that was allowed. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> yeah, the smoking in the in the bathroom thing was definitely still a thing that happened, and people got in trouble for it. <laughs> so, um, after the club, uh, Nick witnesses doing the coke in the men's room. Um, now, Nick and Catherine dance together and make out, but Catherine keeps eye contact with Roxy, her bisexual girlfriend, which she's kind of, I don't know what she's trying to say to her, but I think she's just making sure she's still watching. 
And eventually, uh, Nick and Catherine go back and have sex, only to find out that Roxy was watching. Of course. Um, you mean so Rocky? Then, oh, I hate that. Well, he calls her Rocky. I know, I know. I, I hate that when he does that. Yeah, guys are just shitty and can try to get away with what they can to yep. antagonize people and get under their skin. And, um, and, and Verhoeven, like, his movies are full of that. Like yes. the, acknowledge, the acknowledgement of how shitty people are. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Um. So after that, and after he confronts Roxy in the bathroom, well, he is completely naked, and she's just like, you know, yeah, I saw you. Yeah, I was there. You know. Um. Nick gets dressed. And go meets up with his partner Gus in this honky tonk bar, which is actually pretty funny. But um, this is probably my favorite part of the movie, and it's so small that, like, if you don't pay attention, you would miss it. But um, he and Gus walk from the honky tonk to a little diner uh, across the parking lot, and um, Gus is talking about how. Nick is all wrapped up in Catherine's pussy and she's crazy and, you know, that's why he can't see that, you know, she did all this and, you know, all of this other stuff. Um, Gus just fully believes that Catherine is all in, you know, she's the bad person, you know, we should just go and arrest her, even though they have no actual evidence. Um, So... You know, Gus is talking about how he can get laid, too. He can even get laid by all the blue-haired biddies in this place. And as they're walking by, as they're walking by, just off-camera, somebody yells, Don't knock it till you've tried it! (laughs) Love it. (laughs) I laughed so hard. I'm like, yes! Yes, Grandma. There's nothing wrong with blue hair, silver hair, white hair. Just get your kicks where you can. You know? I want to follow that lady in a movie. You know, right? <laughs> it's kind of like the it's kind of like the little girl in Red Eye. You know, it's like what what's going on? Like, what were you like before you went total Batman in this movie and like save the day? Like, what what's your story? <laughs> I just I just love it. It's just this one little line off camera. And again, if you don't pay attention, you won't hear it because it is very quiet. But oh man, it it's like the perfect like comic relief right there. Where, you know, they're talking about serious stuff like Nick being all up in Catherine's pussy and, you know, Nick thinks that she's the fuck of the century in his words. And it just it's silly. Um, so, was it later that night that uh, Nick went to drive home? And, uh, yeah, yep, he was coming out of the diner, and a car revs up, and it is a Black Lotus. And it tries to run him down, and it actually, you know, runs him up. Uh, he, he rolls over the top of the car. And when the tra- the car tries to come back to get him again, he jumps basically as close to his car as possible. And the Lotus misses him and speeds off. And he jumps in his car and he's like, no, you're not fucking getting away. 
So he jumps in his car, and what I think is brilliant is he knows this area so well and all of the construction going on that he is driving through all these alleys and whatnot to Up and down stairs. this Lotus <laughs> off. Yes, I actually have that in here. He drives upstairs to get around cars to head off this Black Lotus. Like, it is pretty damn funny. Like, this is San Francisco. There, It's very hilly. And to add to the hills, there's stairs. Like, just just driving everywhere he can, not giving a shit about his car and what happens. He needs to head off this Lotus. And so finally, he runs, you know, he uh, comes to find the Lotus, and they basically play a game of chicken, and the Lotus veers off at the last minute because Nick won't let her around, and it crashes and kills the driver, and turned out it's Roxy. So, um, and that's how, and then we find out a little later that she had murdered her brothers and whatnot. Um, ooh, pop. Um, <laughs> that was me. Sorry. <laughs> nice pop. Uh, um, so there's a couple of parts uh, where Catherine, when she's in bed with Nick, ties him to the headboard with a white silk scarf. And she's got an affinity for white silk scarves, which actually was one of the parts that happened to Boz in the beginning. But, you know, she just, uh, she has a very, very physical uh, orgasm, apparently. And she, you know basically reenacts the moves of the uh, blonde in the beginning, um, but does not stab Nick. And uh, so after Roxy dies, um, Catherine grieves over Roxy's death and tells Nick about a lesbian encounter at college um, and claims that the girl became obsessed with her and basically opening the door to another... um, another possible suspect at this point. And in my notes, I have, you know, they showed all the fucking, but they didn't show the lovemaking. Yep. Like, mm -hmm. like Nick goes to, you know, console Catherine and, you know, take her slowly and gently and this and that. And nope, they cut that completely out. So there's all like the rough sex you could want, but none of the gentle lovemaking. So just a heads up, if that's what you're looking for, it ain't there. <laughs> no, uh, this is this is a, a forward erotic thriller filled with just angry sex. Yep. <laughs> yep. So Nick takes this girl's name, identifies her, and runs her um, ID to find out that the name Catherine gave her, Lisa Hoberman, is bum, 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 Beth the Therapist. Was really, was really awful blonde, like a really awful blonde wig in that, <laughs> that old picture, I thought. Yep, yep, but, I mean, blonde doesn't work out for everybody. No, no. <laughs> so, um... Um, interviewing her, she also figured out, or Nick also figured out that the, uh, what was it, counselor of 
Beth and Catherine's was also killed with an ice pick in an unsolved homicide. Um, and actually inspired another one of Catherine's early novels. Um, now, this is the part where I was talking about the printer and the paper. Uh, Nick comes up, and I honestly almost missed this because I was howling about the printer. Um, Nick goes to Catherine's place, and he's seeing this like bunch of printings being printed off and uh, kind of reads it and the fictional detective finds his partner's body in an elevator and then Catherine breaks off their affair causing Nick, Nick to become upset and suspicious and uh, you know basically goes to talk to Gus. Gus has arranged to meet with uh, Catherine's college roommate at an office building hoping to figure out what really went on between Catherine and Beth. And as Nick waits in the car, Gus is stabbed to death with an ice pick in the elevator. And thinking about the last pages of Catherine's book, Nick runs into the building only to find Gus's body in a manner similar to the scene described. And Beth comes walking up as if out of nowhere and explains that she had received a message to meet Gus, <laughs> which, which is a bit suspect. Mm -hmm. Um, now, Nick, you know, I mean, that pretty much ties it together, right? Nick suspects Beth has murdered Gus and shoots her. Um, he thought that she was reaching for her gun because she was kind of digging in her pocket, but discovers that Beth was only uh, trying to pull out her Bart Simpson keychain. <laughs> <laughs> Which I, I thought was kind of an odd choice. He, he pops up a couple of times, but it's definitely something that stands out enough that you're not going to forget it. Right. So um, they go through Beth's apartment, and there's just tons of evidence that Nick, you know, didn't notice, never would have seen, um, all of it. And basically, you know, we're left to wonder, was it a single white female situation, mm. or was the therapist framed? You know, that's that's what we're asking, but, I mean, everything's tied up in a nice little bow that the SFPD rain slicker that was there was Beth's size, and there was a wig, and the ice pick with blood, and, you know, the whole shebang. So, anyway, uh, um, Catherine shows up in Nick's apartment again. <laughs> But the difference is, his door was locked this time. So, I don't know if y'all noticed that, but I did. Mm -hmm. And so, right. I'm like, what the heck? Like, did she learn how to pick locks? I, I don't really know. Um, anyway, she, um, he's, you know, he's pretty down and out, and they get together and have sex. And she does the thing where she ties him up again and flops around while having an orgasm and flops over on him. And, you know, they roll over and they start talking about the future. And he's like, so where do we go from here? And he's like, get married, have rugrats, you know, do the relationship thing. And she's like, I hate rugrats. And so he's like, all right, get married, forget the Rugrats, do the relationship thing. And as they're talking about it, a uh, 
the camera pans down to underneath the bed where there was an ice pick. Dun dun dun. I, I love on that. I love this reveal. I love that reveal. And then the music. Jerry Goldsmith's score was incredible in this movie. Yes. Yes, it was. I do have to say though, the ice pick under the bed was different than the one from Nick's kitchen. Yeah. So yeah. she she supplied it, she placed it, the whole the whole thing. So I mean now we're guessing, was it her? Was she planning to kill Nick? I mean, is she trying to frame him for something now? What's right. going on? Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I just assumed that it was, yeah, it was her behind everything. And the, the sequel, there was a sequel made in the mid-2000s that is got pretty awful reviews. I don't think it's as terrible as people made it out to be. It was mainly... The main complaint was that Sharon Stone was too old to be sexy, which was complete bullshit. I'm sorry. No. Complete bullshit. No, that is complete bullshit. Sharon Stone is, will always be. She, she is, she's hot. Yeah, she's hot. As a gay man, I say that she's hot. (laughs) Um, But, um, yeah, they, they pretty much confirm that she did everything in the original and, yeah. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. I think she bought the ice picks by the case. Yeah, yeah. This mm-hmm. is she. So what she does is she leaves them everywhere so she can propagate the uh, illusion that everybody has one. That's exactly. that's that's right. what it is. And you yeah. know what? So basic instinct three. She's just an ice pick conglomerate. That's the. <laughs> it's like the Chulies gum guy from Clerks, like with the with the anti-smoking thing. This is it the whole time. Yep. Nice. Yeah. yeah. So I I do have to say my MVP for this movie I think, uh, I really want it to be the lady from the parking lot, but I'm gonna go with <laughs> Gus. Um, I was hoping you were. He he had his head on straight the whole time. He you know had his theories right. He was he had his friends back when he was right, and he you know tried to get his friend to calm down and. He, you know, he was there for Nick the whole time and doing the damn thing. So my MVP for sure. I I second that, and actually, he reminds me a lot of my MVP for Showgirls. Nice, can't oh, wait okay. to get there. Yeah, um, my MVP is also Gus, but I was going to say a close second is that dot matrix printer. <laughs> <laughs> It just it just amazes me how far we've come in forensics and technology and it's just it's wild. Like, you know, mm-hmm. we have a printer here in our house that's nothing even close to that. Well, I printed through a Wi-Fi printer from my cell phone earlier, and I'm thinking back ah. to this movie and going, This is funny. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, <laughs> I always think of like elementary school when I see those things and the and the the the, the black screens with the green lettering as well, I always think yes. of. I, yeah. I tried Oregon to Trail. trail. <laughs> yes, Oregon Trail. <laughs> you know what's cr- what, yeah, an Oregon Trail. And, you know, I always think that, like, you know, when I was in college, they were still using overhead projectors. Oh, my. And, like, yeah, um, college was, you know, um, 20 years ago at this point. Oh, Jesus. Uh, but still, <laughs> you know, Overhead projectors were long past due, you know, but I was in a state school. 
So that, <laughs> that's that's how that worked. What year um, did you graduate? I graduated um, high school in 2002. And that's what I, I thought. Okay. Yeah. And yeah. I graduated college for the first time in 2006 and then the second okay. time in 2008. <laughs> okay. I did the master's thing, so I just stayed ah, through. Yeah. Got it. I, I wanted them smart people, I think. No, that's what my, <laughs> my mother says. No, <laughs> I got nothing. Um, but no, that was awesome. What was the critical reception for, for this movie? It, um... So for Rotten Tomatoes, the critical consensus, the uh, critics is only 54, which I think it should be a lot higher than that. Yeah. I always thought thought this movie was a lot more well-respected than that. Same. Same. And sorry, I'm pulling it up. I hit... I hit the wrong button on Rotten I do Tomatoes. That all the time. Uh, do you want ads on Rotten Tomatoes? No. Um, <laughs> do you do you want cookies? Download the cookies. Right. <laughs> Are they <No>. cookies? <laughs> so critical score of 54, audience score of only 63. It, it, it should be like 70 critical. It should be a lot higher. Well, I mean yeah. like like um, IMDb, it's a seven, and that's a really good yeah. for IMDb, right? Th- those are usually um, not so good in comparison. Yeah, I agree. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, I mean, I guess, I guess the the plot, you know, is that the the script is maybe you know kind of messy at times, but not not really. I mean. And yeah, it's, you know, really over the top, but that was kind of the point. Well, I guess a lot of times, too, with Rotten Tomatoes, remember, Rotten Tomatoes didn't exist when this movie came out. Mm-hmm. So this yeah. is this is people that look at it through the lens we're looking at it through now, right? And this movie springboarded, you know, because the 70s and 80s had their, you know, erotic thrillers that were basically smut, right? You know, you, yeah. you go back and find, like, they were making them to play porn theaters, but there are a lot of them were actually like, oh, wow, this is actually, you know, a good movie, mm-hmm. um, you know, but you look at this movie, this spearheaded, I guess I won't call it softcore because the movie is is definitely this is like, you know, approaching Cinemax levels of gratuity in, in the sex scenes, <laughs> which which right. blockbuster movies don't usually do that. You know, um, Verhoeven mm-hmm. is is great for that, but they, they usually don't. Um, but this spearheaded like a whole genre. Right. We had like body heat. You know, and and then the, the titular showgirls and striptease and um, uh, what what was that one? Um, well, that was also Michael Douglas, right? The uh, um, what was it called? Oh, disclosure. Disclosure. Yeah, you know, movies that I guess looking back, people might have thought might have done what this movie did better, mm-hmm. but this was this was numero uno, right? And right. you know, I've always found it kind of kind of crappy like this critical consensus unevenly echoing the work of Alfred Hitchcock. And it's like, come on, like no one is Alfred Hitchcock. Give a movie no. credit for trying to it's, do it. It's very, it feels very Hitchcockian right down to the San Francisco setting. Oh, well, I yeah. mean, the, the yeah. interrogation scene, you know, is such a, when you think people might think back to Hitchcock and go, Oh, Hitchcock didn't do, you know, um, like, the the reason people went and saw this movie, like the words where Sharon Stone exposes herself in that interrogation scene, right? That was the thing that everybody was like, holy crap, got to go see this movie. And, mm-hmm. and they get a good movie also uh, out of the deal. 
But Hitchcock did stuff like that all the time, just in his time period, you know, the rules and code you had to break were a lot different. Um, have you guys ever seen North by Northwest? I've not. Okay, so I, it sounds familiar. So North by Northwest is like an espionage, you know, whodunit kind of movie. The mm -hmm. end shot of the movie has our male and female protagonists sitting on a bed on a train. Now, why is this controversial? Hitchcock almost got kicked out of the director's guild for this level of controversial. Wow. The, there was a rule that if a male and female actor at the time were shown in a Hollywood released film sitting on a bed, their feet had to be on the floor. Okay. So the, <laughs> shot, the shot has their feet hanging off the bed. The camera pans out and they're on a top bunk. So their feet are not on the floor. <laughs> then he cuts to a shot of the train driving into a tunnel. <laughs> you know like what it. I mean? It's, and he got in so much trouble <laughs> for that. And so, and so Hitchcock pulled that shit too. I mean, the movie, the movie Rope, um, he got in a lot of trouble because there's a gay character in it. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. and he and not like in not in a country. He didn't do it in like a making fun way. It's like, no, literally one of the protagonists of the film is a gay man. And it's just like, yeah, this is a normal thing. Like, what's the big deal? Mm -hmm. You know, so so this movie definitely played. Um, it's just it's it's fascinating to me that it's not as well received because it's a good movie. It's, it's a little it's a little corny and campy at times, but it's a good movie. Yeah. yeah. And and funny, you know, you mentioned the score. I remember a while back it did have a fresh rating, so it was at least 60, so it's dropped. Yeah, this is this is what surprises me. This is definitely people through through eyes and you know, not for nothing, but we went back to the strong female character thing. Yeah, she's the villain or painted as the the anti-hero, but her sexuality and her strength is never like She's definitely there for the men in the movie to to ogle, you know? Mm -hmm. That's the point. But mm -hmm. she uses that 100% in a strong way that yeah. I'd say there right. weren't too many movies in the 10 years after this that did as good of a job of that. No. no. I mean, um, yeah, and, you know, it's... And you really, you mentioned, you know, 10 years later, this is the the erotic thriller genre is is all but dead today yeah if nothing else that was indicative with how poorly basic instinct 2 did and that was 2006 yeah i mean you really yeah you don't I, I guess it's because you know with the internet and you know any kind of porn being available you know at any at the, the click of a button so easily internet is for porn right 100% <laughs> true what's that that's um that avenue is q. avenue q yep <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and, you know, you mentioned, I wonder if maybe the the negative reception or the worst reception from uh, years ago. Uh, so the movie garnered a lot of controversy over its portrayal of uh, lesbians. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I guess I can see that. And so much so to the point where uh, gay rights groups protested the premieres of the movie in various cities and the opening weekend they would go to theaters and hand out flyers saying Catherine did it to spoil the movie and try to persuade people from going. Yep. And 
go ahead. Sorry. Oh, and I was saying, you know, it never, it never phased me because to me it was not. And you got to remember, you know, back then this was like right after Silence of the Lambs came out, <laughs> which had obviously I, a horrible I, portrayal. I look at Catherine as using the characters in the film's preconceived notions about what a lesbian is to, right. to create a red herring. Not that the movie is saying that's what this is. You know, it's she kind of plays on the if I mention that I had this lesbian encounter with this woman who's obviously my girlfriend. You know what I mean? Like there's a like if I just play around that, you know, it's like something else that's going to make the guys even more attracted to me because that's yeah. alluring to True. them, you know? Yeah. And I guess I guess they were talking more about Roxy. Yeah. But, no, um, right. Yeah. No, but she kind of she was such a minor character. It didn't really phase me much. Um, I guess we have more positive, you know, obviously way more positive portrayals today. Yeah, yeah. And again, this, oh yeah. This, this was a movie about how fucked up straight people are. So yeah, yeah. and gonna bad portrayal of a gay person. Roger Ebert mentioned that in his review that uh, you know, although it's garnered much controversy regarding its portrayal of gays and lesbians, its portrayal of straight characters is no better. Yeah, it's basically yeah. saying people just suck. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I want to, um, Jess, do you have anything else to add? Uh, nope, I'm good. Sure. I want to close this part out with just reading quickly on the Wikipedia page some of the actresses that were considered for oh, the role of Catherine Trammell offered, uh, or offered. Uh, Sharon Stone took the role after 13 other actresses turned it down. Yikes. What? S some of them include Kim Basinger... Julia Roberts, Greta Sacchichi, who was, we, we know as the therapist on Flight Plan. Yep. Meg Ryan, Michelle Pfeiffer, Gina Davis, Kathleen Turner, Emma Thompson, Ellen Barkin, Mariel Hemingway, and Demi Moore. Wow. Wow. Yep. Just how different the movie would have been or could have been and like how that would have just changed the career trajectory of some of these people. Mm -hmm. I mean, like, Julia Roberts was just, you know, up and cut, like, you know, she had just broken out and was still kind of trying to establish herself a little right. bit. Right, that was just Pretty Woman, right? Yeah. That was a mm -hmm. year or two prior? Holy mm -hmm. shit. And I guess Meg Ryan, about ten years later, would be in an erotic thriller called In the Cut. Have either of yep. you seen that? Yep, yep. Yeah. Well, yeah. she she also goes uh, full frontal in she that does. movie. She does. That movie wasn't bad. It, I don't, it wasn't. I don't, I, I don't remember disliking that movie. No, it just, it was just kind of like, you know, like just whatever. I guess there was a, there was a graphic uh, blowjob scene. Like, holy, like, yeah. like yeah. I, I know it was a prosthetic, but it, they, they show it and it, it looks real. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm shocked that made it past the MPA. I've, I'm pretty sure I saw the unrated version, but I'm... You must have, right? Because that shit, that they get... Oh, man. Yeah, I think that's, like, where the NC-17 comes out is if a movie has an erect penis in it. That's it. They're done. Yes, which... <laughs> which, uh, which, um... Apparently, Basic Instinct wanted to have at of some course. point, but they it's didn't... They didn't weren't able to, and they were uh, they were going to uh, portray or imply that uh, Nick 
played by Michael Douglas, that his character was bisexual as well, but they decided not to. I don't know. I don't think I could see that swinging. I, yeah. It's Verhoeven. He's Dutch. It's just normal to him, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's it's awesome to watch his behind-the-scenes stuff in all his movies. He's like, I don't see what everybody's problem is. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> Whatever they could be naked in the shower together. What's the big deal? I I just don't get it. <laughs> you know? yeah. Oh my god! So I saw, I rented Starship Troopers right when it came out. My mom rented it for me, and she joined me for like later on in the movie. Thank God after the shower scene. <laughs> that, was, that. that was the most I controversial know. thing about that movie. And I remember, I remember being in the theater and we were talking to my, my uncle took us when we were like twelve. And I remember my uncle saying after, "Geez, everyone was worried about the shower scene." He goes. That thing was fine. What about the graphic violence? <laughs> oh, God, yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Stefan and I actually, oh, he came over and we were watching Showgirls. And he said, you know, wouldn't it be crazy if your son came downstairs and saw all this nudity on here? And I said, quite honestly, I would rather him see all the nudity than some of the true crime stuff we watch. Yeah, amen. Oh, amen. God. <laughs> anyway, with, with with that, speaking of true crime and nudity, um, <laughs> Stefan, wh- why don't you um, t- tell us all about Showgirls? My pleasure. So uh, Showgirls came out uh, three years later in 95, and it's the same writer and director, as I mentioned before. Let's say the tagline, leave your inhibitions at the door. The show is about to begin. <laughs> yep and so that tells me nothing about the film right but doesn't intrigue you and you want to see it uh, a little bit but it also you know it could be any number of movies it could be the circus it could be you know it could be a monster truck rally <laughs> exactly <laughs> here we go okay Nomi Nomi, a young drifter, arrives in Las Vegas to become a dancer and soon sets about clawing and pushing her way to become the top of the Vegas showgirls. So the movie opens up with uh, our protagonist, Nomi Malone, who, by the way, her name, Joe Esterhaz made her name because he he knew someone named Nomi years ago. I'm guessing someone he slept with knowing him. Yeah. yeah, he he's he's trash. If you read up on him, he is trash. Uh, not not just in like the misogynistic sense, but like almost every sense of the word. Uh, and so, and then Malone was because her character was alone in the world. Oh. Yeah, he was paid uh, a record two million dollar advance for this script, and then another one and a half million when this was completed, which was a record at the time. Yeah. For this. Wow. And so, yeah, so we open up with her uh, hitchhiking to Vegas. And it, she's got to be really, because it was like 300-something miles. The sign said, I'm like, that is a, like, a specific sign and far away from Vegas. I mean, to advertise like that, the, the distance road sign. Um, she must have been like in the Midwest somewhere. I'm like, that's far. Uh, so she gets in a truck with this Elvis reject. And just we right away get who her character is. She pulls out the switchblade, like, get away from me. And so... (laughs) He he tries the moves. 
Okay. He, he tries the moves, and, and you know. And he he actually strikes me more as rockabilly than Elvis, but I get it. Oh, right. Right. Yeah. Yep. I'm, Interesting. I mean, he has the pompadour, but he's got you know the jean jacket going on, and you know definitely not you know the Elvis the regular ideal Elvis get up. Speaking of rockabilly, put a pin in this. Have you guys ever seen Six String Samurai? No. no. That is a movie you should both see. I'll just leave it at that. Anyone listening, it, it almost has the same plot as the opening of this movie. Huh. Maybe of. that was the reference. Maybe that kind was. Of, ex- except that it's, you know, a post-apocalyptic world and Las Vegas has been taken over by Elvis and it's like the Wizard of Oz and Buddy Holly is a samurai. You go watch it. It's great. I'm really intrigued. Uh, so, it's got a lot of rockabilly in it. It's why I brought that up. Yeah, it's good. So they arrive in Vegas and he tricks her to uh, get to, like, you know, takes her suitcase, which, like, I mean, I guess he thought she had money in there, but it seemed like a lot to do to, like, just take one suitcase, but uh, I digress. It's, it's amazing what you can pawn. True. True. Especially in Vegas. Yeah. Yeah, I suppose. And he, so he gives her like ten bucks to go um uh to go gambling and just kinda lets her guard down and have some fun. Right. Yeah, so it must have been more than ten I mean obviously more than ten dollars worth of stuff. As we learned later it was everything she had. And so uh, she <laughs> comes back to find the car's gone and she just randomly starts beating <laughs> this car. <laughs> And I said I was going to quote the lines of this movie, so she's like, oh shit, fuck, fuck, fuck the fucking what? He's all fucking stupid! And then we meet Molly, who, oh my god, I, I love, I love Molly. She's, she's just such a sweet, a sweet soul. And she uh, takes, you know, buys Nomi food, and, you know, I would know me threw up on her, by the way. Oh, yeah, <laughs> and then, and then what if I show this movie to people and she pulls her, you know, and they pull in and she like gives her a hug. People ask me, do they know each other? And I'm like, no, no, they don't. <laughs> <laughs> and so they, um, uh, she gives her food, which Nomi just throws everywhere. Throws the fries different places. And okay, Nomi is like prone to childish fits. Yeah. And Esther has said years later that uh, it was to imply that she was like a drug addict who wanted her fix was why she had those, but they didn't write that really well enough. So oh, I never yeah. got that. I never really got that either. Um, she seemed more uh, juvenile and like just never really had, you know, the the constructs of real parenting, and you know, didn't fully grow up. I agree. Yeah, and so so then Molly offers her to stay with her, which I'm like, really. <laughs> I, I I would I would not be so fast to do that. I would I would take them to like a shelter, you know, make sure they right. were set. I would probably you know check and you know check up on them, like are you doing okay? But I would not let someone like that crash in my house that fast. And she asks her, you know, you're not a hooker, are you? 
No. <laughs> Put a pin in that for foreshadowing later. Mm-hmm. And so we cut ahead to six years, six weeks later, and they're they're best friends already. Yeah. They're you know they're joking around, and you know so Molly works at a show called Goddess at uh, the Stardust, and she invites Nomi to come watch the show and come backstage with her and they show you yeah topless review which they have in vegas i don't know if they still do but they had the i mean the main attraction in vegas now let's face it is all the you know the people at the residencies so mm-hmm. those are kind of outdated and so they uh nomi is immediately entranced by crystal the new lead crystal connors and uh wasn't so, he doing that for like eight years? They said she, she, um, she. Well, she had Mr. Show a, a a performance like for. I I got the impression she was pretty well renowned by that point. She met other shows she's done just in eight years. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. Yes, I, I got confused. No, no worries. And um, uh, so then they. She, you know, Molly invites her back to the dress, uh, Crystal's dressing room, which, like, okay, yeah, that's, you know, you don't want to get fired, really. And and so uh, Crystal proceeds to insult Nomi that, you know, so we find out Nomi works at a uh, strip club called the Cheetah, which I guess it was, is a real strip club in Vegas. It's pretty, oh, yeah, it is Cheetah, Cheetah's Topless Club. It's uh, clickable on Wikipedia. Oh. It's yeah. It's um still still open. Yikes oh. on the on the C also the C also part of Wikipedia of the for the cheetah page. It says planning of the September eleventh two thousand one attacks. Oh, <laughs> oh, good. Let, right that's, a rat, that's a rabbit hole. <laughs> right above show. Right above showgirls. It takes it takes wow. precedence over that. Fun, fun um, note. Fun note. Yeah. Ex, extra extra features for patrons will not be us taking that deep dive. <laughs> yeah, there's there's a special plaque at the table they planned it at. Oh my goodness, what the hell? It's an extra feature you have to pay extra for to sit there. Yeah, pony up the change. Oh. And so so um uh then we Nomi, you know, the you know throws a fit is like you know shit and just walks out of the room. Just she this whole movie is her just like walking out of rooms angry. <laughs> A childish fit every time she leaves the room. Yeah, yeah, and so she leaves, and then Molly's like, "Well, let's let's go, let's go dancing, let's go to the club." And we cut to this club, and Nomi is just like she has her territory, making it known, just flailing with her arms everywhere. And then we meet um, James, who's a bouncer at the club, and he if. I think this movie runs pretty well. It goes by pretty fast for being over two hours. But if I would have cut... It's such a big movie. Yeah. (laughs) If I would have cut anything out of this movie, it would have been his character. I thought he didn't really add very much. Um, uh, And so... So he, you know, he... They do an impromptu dance battle where he claims he could teach her how to dance. 
well and i know he's like drumming to the to the, the i'm afraid of americans david bowie song which whenever <laughs> whenever i hear that song i think of that this scene and for what for the music video for this in the wikipedia section this guy was like i'm american and i'm afraid of americans i'm like fucking preach it right uh, yeah yeah, yeah. and so, yep and so uh uh, she kicks him in the nuts and he starts and, and then a fight starts and she just walks away so proud and they they like automatically finger her and do it like that she you know you started it it's like did you see her do that so she gets she gets arrested you know you got to move the plot along so she gets arrested and James bails her out and they have another fight they talk about like you know, stuff that appears on T-shirts. <laughs> and, and so before Molly picks her up and uh, then I love the part where like they're driving away and the random ring pop appears. Yep. <laughs> just, just like appears almost out of nowhere. I just love that. And um, ring pop yeah, just just out of nowhere. Which okay, you notice how much we're laughing at this movie. I just want to say, the uh, the podcast that will not be named did an episode about this movie, and I'm like, how the hell is that? Is it remotely horror? You know, whatever. I guess you know how terrible it is. Right. Well, and it is Randy Meek's uh, favorite movie, as revealed in Scream Two. Remember, before he gets killed. Mm, yeah. Yeah. yeah um, it means I, I, the the horror genre has such a uh, a large, you know, queer community, right? Oh yeah. And, I, and this movie is just the camp classic now today. Oh yeah. Well, yeah. I, you know what I think is 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 interesting. Just while you're talking and bringing that up. Because we're dealing with things like Rotten Tomatoes that have dubbed these films, um, their genre and everything after they came out. Do you think it being detailed on Rotten Tomatoes as a gay and lesbian slash drama film was, you know, how the company that released it was portraying it or just how it's been accepted? Granted, all that's in there, right? Definitely. Yeah, more... I saw that, too. I think how it's been accepted. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, so so then uh, we we cut to Nomi at the um, at the Cheetah strip club getting ready for work. And we're introduced to uh, her boss, uh, one of the Fratelli brothers. Yep. Yep. And uh, and also in addition to uh, Mama, the uh, the older, you know, heavyset stripper Henrietta who uh did nothing else until appearing on Orange is the New Black literally nothing after this pretty much and so then uh Zach and Crystal show up at the strip club and it's like you know I guess Crystal was really must have you know really intrigued by this woman so Nomi comes out and dances and at this point, it's like, man, you know, Jesse Spano has just melted away. Uh, yeah. yeah. And so... The form is gone. <laughs> right, right. I want... Um, we'll stick a pin in uh, the... Uh, I have a similar fan theory. Jess, Jess, what was the kind of... What was the name of the fan theory? Like something head? Oh, head cannon. Head yeah. cannon, yep, for this movie. That ties it to Saved by the Bell. And... Um, oh, no. Yeah. Yeah, and so... 
real quick before we move on, I just want to say that I love Mama. Like, I, I oh, think yeah. she's great. And um, there's actually a thing at a lot of strip clubs, a position called a house mom. And they are a behind-the-scenes person. They go and get stuff for the dancers, like if they forgot, you know, underwear or, you know, if they need more hairspray or, you know, whatever. Um, that's generally what a house mom does. They don't, mm -hmm. uh, they don't you know, warm up the crowd or anything like Mama did. But, you know, they they have, you know, most places have a house mom. I actually, uh, one of my, somebody I used to be friends with was a house mom for a club here in Minneapolis. Oh, cool. Very cool. At the, um, at the, uh, the gay bar nightclub I used to work at um, in Duluth, we had an um, uh, older bartender named Mama, and it was a similar dynamic to that. She reminded nice. me a lot of her. Yeah. And so then uh, Crystal invites, after Nomi storms off stage again, <laughs> storms off again, uh, she is asked, invited to a private lap dance with Crystal and Zach. And Zach, by the way, uh, he had emo hair before emo was a thing. Can we agree on that? Oh, 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 God. Yeah, it was pretty dreadful. Uh, I don't know. It was kind. Of, it kind of seemed like the the floppy boy bowl cut. Yeah, I guess. Uh, and a so a little longer. So maybe yeah. the emo floppy boy right. bowl cut. <laughs> right. And so uh, she gives him a lap dance that is. Uh, Roger Ebert said in his review that if they all do lap dances that hard every night, they should be seeing chiropractors regularly. <laughs> <laughs> and um, no, I should pay for her chiropractor bill later. Right. <laughs> oh God, yeah. Well, I mean, hey, the, the the water, there's no there's no resistance, so look at it that way. <laughs> there's a lot of resistance in the water. Yeah, I mean, I guess. This is when waterbeds were a thing, so. <laughs> and so, um, they, uh, and so, uh, she goes off, and then we get, in my opinion, the most unnecessary scene in the whole movie, which is when uh, James shows up at her trailer, and it's like, okay, how the fuck did you find out? How did you find out where I live? <laughs> That's creepy. Um, and he was he was following her the whole night at the club, by the way. And so, uh, you know, they fight, and one of the most the memorable lines of the movie I haven't seen is, man, everybody got AIDS and shit. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, yeah. I know. It's cringy. And so and then... he's the one who pussy hops so quickly. Right. Right. And so then... Um, we cut to her and Molly frolicking around, you know, yay, I, I got another A in my class, I'm almost going to graduate. And uh, then they end up at the the forum in Caesar's Palace, which I really want to, Jess, if we ever make it out to Vegas, we have to go there, absolutely. To to Versace, right? Yes, to Versace. Versace. That was Elizabeth Berkeley's idea, by the way, to have her say Versace. Uh, and oh, so she—that's that, so much better. Like I, I, right. I fully, I fully believe. 
I have to, if you accept this film in the state of the way these people talk is how people talk in the world this movie exists in, it's a lot easier to take and just have fun with it. Right. Then, then if you try to go, this is the same guy that made Basic Instinct, and you kind of go, oh God, what happened? Well, isn't that <laughs> what Julia Roberts called it too in Pretty Woman? Versace. I think you're right. Yeah. Oh, oh! There's the prostitute yes. tie-in right ah, there. There we go. Dun dun dun. Mm. Okay. And so, so we had we had a bit of an issue at this scene, actually. Um, so yes. Nomi got five hundred dollars to do this lap dance for Crystal and Zach, and only three hundred um, after the uh the pimp fee or whatever you want to call that. Still, you know, yeah. she's making good money, and mm-hmm. she sees this dress in the window of Versace, and she's like, oh, I want to buy it, and her bestie, Molly's like, oh, girl, I can make that, like, no problem, and she's like, no, I want to buy it, you know, I, I have, have much burning a hole in my pocket, and it's like, how about you give some to this poor girl going to school, working her butt off, taking care of you, and asking for nothing in return? Yeah, no right. kidding and it's like yeah it's like and especially after she's offered to make you that for nothing and you've seen how talented molly is obviously it's yeah. like you know you you know she could and um so but then I she wanting to splurge on yourself but there are some priorities here honey yeah why don't you just go Absolutely. like buy, buy a cheaper dress for you and molly like help her out <laughs> you right. know? And, then, and then molly even offers to buy her Afterwards, uh, to celebrate that she bought the dress, a burrito or some fajitas. Yeah. <laughs> and then um, we find out that uh, Andrew Carver, who he's gonna he's gonna come into play later. Andrew Carver, who I um <laughs> I know you don't like this expression, Jess, but I think of him as like kind of like a dollar store brand of Michael Bolton. Was kind of what they were going for. Oh, no, dollar store brand term is fine. It's the poor man's whatever that sure. I have an issue with. Yeah, I sure. agree with that. I like dollar store brand a lot better. That's yeah, a, little, like, a, a knockoff or the, off the brand Bogo, or something. Yeah. The BOGO brand. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the generic <laughs> store brand. Yeah, yeah that's kind of what they were going for here. And so uh, he's coming to the uh, the Stardust and it's kind of like you know you you're we've we've established she is a huge fan of this guy. She has a framed picture right in her room. I'm like, girl, I was yeah. I was a huge Britney Spears fan. I had pictures of her on my wall when I was a kid, but I didn't have a framed picture of her. Let me tell you, uh, <laughs> I, I never brought that up in the Diva Dailies episode where we did crosswords. I never did, and I regret bringing that up, but whatever. I don't know. You almost bought that record a couple weeks ago. <laughs> I wasn't going to. Are but, you uh, sure? Are you sure, sure, dude? I was, I was kind of hoping through the computer screen that you bought that. I was like, oh, Stefan, do it. Come on, you'll do it. <laughs> My dad gets his record player up and going. We might. Um, and so... I've, I've got the vinyl Britney. Fuck you. <laughs> and so we... Um, uh, we cut to Nomi being um, solicited for an audition at the Stardust. Uh, and then I love the part, another great line is where she goes home and she's like, Molly, I got, I got an audition. Like, I can't even hit that octave. And she's like, <laughs> and um, I used to do that as a joke. Like, I got, I got to be in a movie. <laughs> and, 
And um, yeah, I showed this movie to many of my friends in college, many of my friends. And um, yeah. And so, so then she arrives at the audition and more foreshadowing uh, the, the producer of the show, Tony Moss calls her Pollyanna. And she looks like she's, she's taken off. Like, what did you call me? She's like, he's like, I said, you look like Pollyanna. And so, um, she immediately, you know, she's overdressed. She strips down and I love the scene. I just love the scene where he's like, you know, this, the lineup of the girls and just like, you know, see ya, you know, you, you know, I love the line. Come back when you fuck some of this baby fat off. Oh, it's yeah. like, it's like, you know, like the audience is going to be able to tell any of that. Well, <laughs> and then, as like, I said, if you can't see their ribs, they're not worth anything. True. True. Well, the record, well, this show does not, is not okay with fat shaming. Absolutely not. Uh, and so, I mean, I, I got the impression, I mean, she looked like she had, I mean, I meant like her on her, on her face. That's what I meant. Not like the rest of her body. I mean, because she looked fit. And then, uh, so Nomi uh, does the audition. Crystal comes down and is clearly, you know, fucking with her at this point. And um, then they want her to put ice on her nipples at this part, which is just like, <laughs> really. And, and this... Well, they're offering it to the three finalist girls. Right. But at this, make things more perky. Right. At this point, they're down to two, but yeah. <laughs> and, um... And so uh, she storms off the stage again, per, per the huge. And, and okay, it's like that. she does. Yeah, and it's like that's where she draws the line. You know, I will, I will lick a stripper pole. I will, you know, violently give a guy a lap dance. I will hump a woman on stage, but I will not ice my nipples. That's where I draw the line with this. And so we assume she doesn't get the audition. She meet and then Zach... Uh, or no, no, not Zach. Uh, James is working at the hotel now because he got fired from uh, the the club, the Crave, and she got him fired. She okay. got him fired. Yeah, and uh, which which oh my god! Well, when, when I was a bouncer, I did worse and didn't get fired. By the way, I, I didn't. I never punched anyone. I got punched. Well, he yeah. stopped what during a work shift to dance with a chick, like, and then got right. Him yeah, I guess. I guess in the early days at the nightclub I worked at when things weren't so busy, we were allowed to take breaks and go dance, but that ended very soon uh, when, the, when the place got too, too packed and busy and popular. But uh, anyways, so uh, then she goes over to his loft and uh, he says he wrote a number about her and which like a okay number. a dance number and it's like you know in like a week or something I guess you can if you're creative and so they dance and I'm I'm, I'm doing air quotes around dance uh, and so then they start to play and right here and her nipples all of a sudden were perky hmm mm -hmm. yep and uh, so. Uh, then he, then she leaves again, this time, not, not violently. She leaves calmly <laughs> and says, you can fuck me when you love me. Uh, and he claims that he does love her. And so then that, you know, this plot line is going nowhere, just continues to go nowhere. And then she gets back. We find out they're offering her the part in goddess just for, you know, 
for, you know, even though she, though the audition went the way it did. And so uh, she quits the cheetah and then, uh, so she goes to, she tells James and he is sleeping with someone from her, uh, from the cheetah. Hope new sl- girl, Holly. Yep. No, Hope, 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 slash Penny, slash Penny, who, by the way, Rita Raphael, she's done some great stuff afterwards. Uh, She directed, produced, and starred, and I think wrote in a unofficial sequel to Showgirls, like, years later, which follows her character. It's really, it's really something, I've I've seen it, it's, like, really surreal, but, um... Anyways, yeah, and so then they, uh, uh, she goes in, wears the Versace dress, and then when they comment her on it, she says it's a Versace, and everyone's like, huh, what? And, um, no, they get her. It. Well, 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 they, well, they, um, at first I think they kind of, a couple of them look like they don't get it at first, but then when she's like at the forum, she's, they're like, oh yeah, Versace. I love Versace, oh, and I, I hate that. It's like they just don't correct her, but Zach does behind the scenes. And so then we get introduced to the people around the uh, that, you know, put this number on, and, you know, Gay, try, Gay who's the, uh, the uh, stage manager, I guess, who... Choreographer. Choreographer, yep. Uh, who seems like she's going to be really great to her, and I don't like what she says to her later on in the movie. We'll get to that. And so then, uh, you know, she's set up. She starts auditioning. And she learns that choreography so fast. Like, by looking at it once, I'm like, wow, that's some muscle memory right there. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And so then they, uh, she's starring in the show that evening. And so, yep, yep and they put her... They put the new girl right next to the star of the show, which the whole the whole thing with like the star of a topless review. <laughs> I mean, it's like I guess she comes out of the volcano and they lift her up. It's like so you do get your own number, but it's like they're all pretty interchangeable to me. Uh, and so then uh, she you know does it, and she and Molly leave, and then not not after. Um, Zach gives her flowers, and then James comes out and tries to talk with her. And at this point, she's like, you know, I'm done. You know, you said we have no ties, so, you know, whatever. And uh, the next day she goes to uh, work in her choreography, and Crystal is there uh, doing some of the finest cocaine in the world. Of course. Yep, because she would have no less. Well, she's the star. Right, right. And uh, so they... uh, they go get lunch instead at, which we, at Spago, which, yeah, Jess, when we go there, we have to eat at this place and just recreate this scene. Um, and we've implied that they have tr- both tried dog food before. Because brown it's, rice is worse than dog food. Right, which I, I love. I love brown rice. I'm sorry. I love it. I, I actually just tried it recently, and I am not a fan. Mm, to each their own. Yep. And, and uh, so... Uh, we will find out here that Crystal is uh, bisexual and has a major crush on Nomi. And so, you know, they go back. She tries to seduce her. Nomi doesn't have it, and she storms off again. 
And so now we're at the point where they have uh, this uh, Nomi and Nikki, one of the other girls, are offered a, um, they're doing a she event. She to understudy. Oh, no, this, no, is the, this is the, the boat show, the boat show. Okay, and, sorry. Yep, sorry. and Molly is hinting, you know, don't do it. You know, I know people who've done it. They don't like it. And Crystal really is like, Molly, shut up. Don't blow. Don't blow the cover. And which which, OK, this is this is I know this is obviously bad writing, but this is a point. Well, this is maybe the one time where I'm like, really, Molly, it's like they said the boat show was next week. You know, you had a whole week to tell her it's like you two lived together you couldn't have like told her what was up i guess they had to commit that night perhaps but still well in all fairness when you have roommates and you're not in a pandemic you know you both have jobs and you both have other things and you're not always home at the same time but i get where you're coming from as well but they they worked at the same place and they drove to and from together that was implied yeah yeah um and so, so then she does the boat show, and uh, Phil, I don't, I don't remember Phil Newkirk, what his position was at the hotel. He was also in, in Starship Troopers later on. He was the reporter. Yep. That they were, the line where it was like, where it was like, you know, we don't know when we're going to invade, but it looks like tomorrow. Something like that was his line. <laughs> uh, yeah. And, um, yeah. And so... Uh, they try to solicit her with uh, one of their very high rollers from Bangkok. Emphasis on the cock. He makes that <laughs> emphasis there. And so Confucius say, "Man who go through turnstile with erection going to Bangkok." <laughs> I don't know what that's from, but um, it's just one of those stupid Confucius say um, jokes. Jokes. Oh. They're, they're in really bad taste. But Confucius yeah. say, "Man who stands on toilet is high on pot." You know, like, uh, <laughs> sorry, didn't mean lovely. to trip me up there. No, I just, I just find those hysterical, even though they're in really they poor are. taste. And so, and so, Nomi uh, storms, storms off, like storms off again when she realizes that they want to bring them up to the hotel room to hear to hear Caesar sing, as they say, which that comes back later on. And so, they storm off. She storms off, and I love how she like grabs her jacket and just like unfurls it without caring who she's gonna hit. I just that's such a diva moment. I love that. And so uh, then Zach pretends to accost um, Phil with one of the best lines ever. If you if you do this again, you're gonna jump to your conclusion. <laughs> without your golden parachute again three million dollars three and a half million dollars for this script he was paid uh and so they uh then the show the show starts and the crystal's understudy annie which oh my god this movie this movie does the typical just angry black woman trope I, i really don't like it Yep, it's it's that really was a very '90s thing. Y- yes, yes, I agree. It was very, very '90s. I probably and... wouldn't mind so much, but she is always angry. She yeah. is. Yeah, and there's like... nothing else to the character. That's no, 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 no. And no, so, however, one part she did make me laugh pretty hard. So, 
Was it the, the fight the fight with uh Annie? Uh no, it's when um the other woman had her kids in the How could I miss that? <laughs> oh my gosh. And I think one of the kids says, like, why are you angry or why are you yelling? And she just goes, Shut the fuck up. And the kid starts crying. I mean, <laughs> I mean I those kids should not be back there. I mean, no. understandably, if it's like an absolute emergency, but still, they should not be back there. And I love how like they're they're not offended by anything they're seeing, but like you know, that's what you know is offensive. <laughs> you know? I, mean, I guess she was yelling. At them. Yeah, she was yelling. To be at them. fair, my son would do the same thing if like mm-hmm. he was back there. And, you know, he was looking around, he would probably ask, you know, why are you angry? Can I help in some way? And if some random person just screamed at him to shut the fuck up, he would cry too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't just the, uh, I guess, I guess I meant more like the, you said the F word thing, but, um, but anyways, yeah. And so, uh, um, we, we established before that her and Annie have bad blood, you know, they, they, for whatever reason, don't get along. They've gotten into fights pretty publicly in front of everyone. Well, and... he keeps taking her stuff. Let's be real. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, um, it's, it's not nothing. Like, Annie takes her stuff. Annie is disrespectful. Like, Annie's got some issues. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Annie true. Annie is not okay. <laughs> and, uh, so... So then uh, Annie, during the performance, and I, this is my favorite performance of the the show, the, the goddess uh, feature. Well, no, 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 the S&M one is my favorite. But so this is the second. So the, uh, the, the evening gown one. Then she throws marbles on the, the floor, on the, the stage. Be- oh, beads. No. Yeah, beads. And then uh, the guy holding Annie... Uh, slips. Tr- slips, slips. Which, by the way, he was... What was the um, the one guy with the beard who was like, "You don't have a gay partner," but the guy holding her was was gay. He we saw him dancing with a guy later on, but you know, or whatever, bad writing. And um, so she slips and falls, and I love this part how the performance goes on, and <laughs> they wait till everyone's cleared out to go on stage. Uh. Yes. Like they they left her there to die. <laughs> She's fashion roadkill. I know. <laughs> Where is that from again? I know. I know. I forget. Yeah. Oh. Oh. Okay. Yeah. I remember now. And so dancing around her and. <laughs> and so, um, Annie has broke her knees, so they need a new understudy for. Crystal, and at this point, uh, no, I mean, uh, Nomi asks Zach if she can come home with him, so he brings her home, and they proceed to have sex, I guess we could call it that, in the pool. You mean flop around like (laughs) a fish on land while dolphins are throwing up on her? (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, that, that that does not look like a good time at all. No. Whatever no. they whatever they do here, someone's getting severely hurt and not having a good time. Yeah. She is putting forth so much physical exertion that she is getting <laughs> no pleasure from this. I can no. guarantee that. She's she's basically yeah, it's like you know. A, a walking animatronic fleshlight in a pool attacked this guy. <laughs> you know? <laughs> wow. And so, so yeah, they, they do their thing. And um, then uh, Zach reveals that they need a new understudy for Crystal. And they're auditioning at noon. So then she goes to the audition and Zach wants to give it to her. The, so it's uh, her... Nikki and uh, Annie. No, no, no. It was Ju Julie. I mean, it was Julie. I, I mixed. Yeah, Annie was the the African American girl, the one that broke her knee. Yeah, oh, it was. Okay. Yeah, I forgot. Julie. Yeah, Julie was the um, the one uh, who, the you know, dropped the drop the marbles or beads, and so the dreads. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And so, then. Uh, Zach vetoes everyone basically and says, I want to give it to Nomi and they're all pissed off. And then we have gay comes in and is like, congratulations. I see you have many talents. And I literally said, I'm like, honey, like you never did the same fucking thing back in your day to get ahead. I'm we like, don't know that. I mean, she's well, a pretty good choreographer. Yeah. Well, not everybody sleeps their way to the top. I mean, in, in this movie universe, it's implied they do. Well, but, that's all women are good for, right? Right, right, yeah. Uh, according to that Andrew guy coming yeah, up. Yeah, right. Well, yeah, happy International Women's Day, everyone, by the way. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. So, so then they, um, uh, so she gets the part, and we then see so and we find out that uh james yeah he's gonna come back james that that whole plot line uh is putting on the number he mentioned at the, the crave club which is old the place that fired him let him put up lets him put on the number it's like that's good i guess you know yeah and so it's nice that they're open to trying different things yeah to see what could bring you know people and money in Right, right. And so uh, then we get, so she goes to the the, uh, the event and then he, you know, the, the people don't like the number. And I kind of like how people are booing. It was mean, but whatever. And uh, so then he announces that, you know, he's still with Hope slash Penny and uh they're getting, getting married. married they're getting married but it's only because she's pregnant uh and he basically says you know you know i i'm not gonna make any money out of this i suck you know you heard them you know i'll, I'll work at a grocery store her parents own we can get a discount on baby food and um and so then nomi just kisses him and says see ya and uh the the, the sequel the 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 quote-unquote unofficial sequel he is also in it and they were still together him and hope and they kind of uh they um yeah they he didn't really make he he ended up doing a t-shirt business actually but didn't uh 
didn't make anything dancing. Maybe he did work at the grocery store still. They never said that. And um, so, sometimes you got to go it yourself. Exactly. And so uh, he, uh, that plot line is done the most, the, the, the part they could have chopped that off and saved, you know, 20 plus minutes, no problem with the movie. Yep. And yeah. And I, I think, I think he was meant to represent like someone who, you know, believed in her and supported her, but that was not at all how we came off at all. I um, think with it being a movie in the mid nineties and everything, they had to have some significant characters of color. That too. That too, you know, when interracial, you know, relationships were so controversial. Well, that and there were the L.A. riots and things like that. Yeah. Socially socially conscious, but not really understanding what socially conscious was yet. Yeah. Right. Right. And so so Nomi arrives at the uh, at the dressing room. Her, uh, yeah, the dressing room, and we find out that she does not, they are not able to offer her the understudy position, and so I love, you know, just the whole, like, when she, when she gets up to leave, and they show, Crystal comes out of the dressing room, and then, uh, Nikki is, and right when Nomi gets up to leave, Nikki gives that little, like, headbutt, almost like, yeah, you know, she knew what happened, and she's like, yeah, in your face, sweet, you know, whatever it's a subtle thing i've noticed when i see this movie as much as i do mm. um yeah and so she goes and this this time she storms into a room not out of into oh, yeah. and on the way in just plows into this poor secretary for no <laughs> for no reason like not even to get past her like she's away from this point and just like hits her as she is like entering it's like she was approaching her she had to make room yeah, I mean, I, I guess. <laughs> I would love to have seen the deleted scene how she made room on the dance floor earlier on. Oh my gosh. It just, with her, how big she was dancing, it reminds me of a scene from Will and Grace when Will and Jack went out to a club and Jack was like, you've got to dance big. And so Will is like doing these huge arm movements out nope. to the side in every mm-hmm. which way. And Jack doesn't even come back for him. And it's just so ridiculous. It's like, you don't need that much room to dance. No, no, you don't. And um, so... Uh, Zach basically says, you know, she threatened to quit. She got her lawyers involved. I'm sorry, Nomi. You know, it wasn't worth it. It happens. And so then uh, Nomi starts, you know, realizes what she has to do to get ahead. And we cut to the SNM number, which, holy crap, this is like high. This is like much higher production than all the other numbers. Um, and so... Uh, you know, there's, there's motorcycles coming out on stage going <laughs> above the top. It's like that. That's fucking dangerous. Like, holy crap. Um, we've we've seen that they don't give a crap, which um, which, by the way, Roger Ebert, his review also said that uh, the the uh, the uh, people in this dance review have a higher injury rate than the average hockey team. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so. Crystal, and you know, somehow, you know, she and she still is Crystal's partner, despite you know, well, I guess she wasn't the understudy. Yeah, it's, it's different, but yeah, it's 
the whole dynamic of this is odd how like you know she still dances close to him though she's not the understudy anymore uh but so then uh she pushes crystal down the stairs and everyone knows that she did it everybody does like they can tell and the expression she gives kind of like uh you know i love the look the smirk when when they're taking crystal in away in the ambulance it's, it's like that disney villain grin i just love it it's like i mean yeah, that, it, it is a pretty fantastic smirk like i that, would i would wear that on a t-shirt yeah, that, that's probably this is probably Elizabeth Berkeley's best acting in the whole movie. I would say is right there, uh, and uh, so then they are panicking. You know, who do we get? Let's get Janet Jackson, Paula Abdul. It's <laughs> just like, yeah, okay. And I love, I love at the beginning too, where he's like, we could have brought anyone into the show. Latoya, Suzanne. It's like Suzanne Summers, who was on Step by Step at the time. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, hey, those buns of steel worked okay oh no absolutely and uh so so then they reluctantly give the uh headliner role to nomi so she's made it you know she's hung basking in the glory and i love i loved the the news scene where which, by the way, Jess, you said that, you know, there were there were sequins and sparkles. You couldn't see her nipples. If you watch that clip from the um, that, that censored version on TV, they had a they had a painted on bra at that scene. So you could oh, see something where at least people thought you could. They do some pretty silly things in TV. Like yes, editing. they do. Like uh, in in Army of Darkness, where uh Ash splits into two, not Army of Darkness, but uh, Evil Dead. Um, his evil twin is mocking him, and he goes, I'm good, Ash, and you're bad, Ash. And his name is Ash, but they censored it because they thought he said ass. ridiculous. Do you know what my favorite TV edits are? What? Caddyshack, Rodney Dangerfield. Hey, everyone, we're all going to go take a shower. Instead of get laid, and two, the the snakes on a plane people doing their own dubs, like they brought them all in to do the TV dubs. Samuel L. Jackson's "I've had it with these monkey fighting snakes on this Monday to Friday plane." <laughs> yeah, I remember that. Um, this this movie and Basic Instinct both had some really good edits. You can I sent you some, and you can see them on a Wikipedia or I mean on YouTube, uh, and so. So then, um, uh, so Andrew Carver is making his debut, which uh, Molly should be so excited about, but she doesn't want to go because she's convinced, you know, that Nomi pushed her and, you know, she's just mad at her, doesn't trust her anymore. And so... Nomi, like, lied to her, you know? It's yeah, like, well, she... Not... she it's not that she pushed her, it's that she lied to her. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so then uh, she, there's this big, uh, big celebration where we, we hear Caesar sing. <laughs> it's not just an innuendo, what a shock. <laughs> and so then they, uh, they go, uh, Molly shows up, she's changed her mind, she wants to meet Andrew, and then so Andrew comes over and meets Nomi, and we right away can tell he's skeezy, he's as if you couldn't, time. 
as if you couldn't tell that by looking at him, you know, just really. And he's like, you know, I like your ass. Call me later. And and then despite being so disliked, looking like she wants to hold back the vomit, Nomi hands her best friend over to this guy, not not just like meet him. You know, he's like, let's go buy a drink. I'll buy you a drink. And just hands, ditches you know. Ditches her. Ditches her, yeah. Like, goes off then Straight with. up ditches her. Right, with Zach. And, like, I mean, like, Jess, if we were ever in that situation, I would, like, I would immediately be like, don't. Like, I'd be like, don't, don't go with him. He's oh, trash. If you tried to ditch me, I would be grabbing you and you would be coming with. Yeah. I I would make that happen. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so so then we uh, we cut to Molly and Andrew Carver in a room above the celebration, and uh, this this is probably this is the point the movie takes a turn, a sharp turn, a sharp ninety degree. More like, a, more like a 180 turn, almost, I'd say. Uh, and so uh, his two bodyguards come in, and they violently, violently gang rape Molly. Poor Molly. Yeah. It, I, I've, I've it's heard, rough. I've heard rumor that this is the reason for the NC-17, and that the movie would have, which I can see, because this is, if it you're going to if you're gonna rate based on subject matter, you know, Mm-hmm. Most of the rest of the movie is just kind of silly, you know, silly sure. nudity and you know weird lap dances, and you know, this scene is like, oh yeah, this is where the movie is trying to be like a dramatic, I, like. Intense. I think it was it was just as much uh, the the lap dance scene at the cheetah. I read yeah, that yeah. is true too, because where where yeah, because they do explain in graphic detail what's going on there that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, but this this rape scene is hard. It's harsh. It's fucking. It is. Hard. Yeah, it is. Fairhoven has actually said if he needed, if he made the movie again, they wouldn't have done this scene. They would Good. have just applied it. And I and I agree. I think mm-hmm. scenes like this, well, the implication of what it means is important. You can do it with um, insinuation. You know, you can have the scene happen behind a closed door or have like the aftermath or like, you know, have someone yeah. explain. Right. Um, this yeah, is like she this, came. This is exploitation. Go ahead. Right. Sorry. It is like, you know, she comes stumbling out of an elevator. She's bloody. There is blood dripping down. Her oh, leg. that, that like, is. Her clothes are. That's such a touch. Like uh, they could have just had that. Yeah. Yes. Like, that, that alone would have been shocking. One of those things I always say, the, the movie seven, is one of the most effective horror-esque films ever made because all it shows you is the aftermath. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, you have yeah. to think, about how did this go down? You right. know what I mean? Like, And Saw, Saw did a really good job with that, too, the first one, of, like, yes. what actually happened here? You know? And I think with things like that, hearing someone, seeing how they look when in the aftermath and having someone explain... Or just cry and say, you know, it just it's way more effective than what they showed here, which is just brutal. It's just brutal. And it, it, it is. Um, the only thing I have to say in um, actually having the scene in the movie 
is what we do see is uh, this Andrew guy didn't actually do the deed. He just helped hold her down, whereas right. his bodyguard did the deed. At least one of them did. We don't know. At least from what we saw. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. either way, you know, um, yeah, like we... It seems like yeah. this. It seems like this that make you, like, cringe, cringe, and think about like your brain goes back to this. You know, when you're mm-hmm. in when you're in comfortable intimate situations in your life where you go, like it. It. This is the kind of shit where it's just like, how can people be this way? You know, and I and maybe right. that's what you're going for is reminding you that there's awful people in the world, but it's like, how do you even? Ah, fuck. Especially, it's like you're a rich man. You're in Vegas. Hire a prostitute for your bodyguards. Seriously, yeah. and, the, and they'll and, something. And yeah, and you know, s- sex workers are good people. Like they'll they'll yeah. do it. They'll, they'll they'll take care of your guys. You don't need yeah. this. You don't need force. No, no. no. Yeah, um, but I do. I do have to say, you know, sitting here in 2021, you know, this is very relevant you know within the past Mm -hmm. couple of years that you know with um cancel culture um with us hearing about all of these big names coming out that they've done these reprehensible things and disgusting things and even you know 45 who was you know grandma the pussy and whatever um just it's it's horrible and Mm -hmm. It just to know well, like this has been happening for ever. Um, but to know that sitting here in twenty twenty one, that I mean, it's great that we are standing up and taking a stand against it. Um, it's it's you know, it's sad to know that it's still relevant. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm kind of um it just shows, you know, like like Paul Verhoeven is probably someone we could have, we half expected, you know, these allegations like this to come out of, you know, that, but just by how, by how we see him in interviews, but, you know, he, he hasn't, you know, not yet at least. No, no, I've, I've heard nothing but, um wonderful stories from the women that have acted in his movies. Cause he, yeah. he's, this isn't his only movie with a scene like this, mm-hmm. you know, and he's, he's known as being like really um, like he, he's very much into this is here for a reason. And I'm trying to pre- depict mm-hmm. a particular thing and I want to make sure you're comfortable with it. He, I don't think is ever intending to have it there for the exploitative nature of it. It's Absolutely. there to prove a point. And in this movie, it's just kind of like this movie. If, if you remove this scene and just have it implied what went down, this movie is just a, a, a campy romp, <laughs> you know, right. and this scene kind of takes you and goes, oh, this is real. Oh, fuck. Right. <laughs> you know, uh, Molly or sorry, Nomi threatens to call the police. Zach says, no, it's not happening. And then we find out that uh, he's found out every detail about Nomi's past it was her um, Her parents died in a murder-suicide, and then she ran away from a foster home and just was living on the street, basically, whatever she needed to do to survive, which I would love a prequel for this, for Nomi Malone. I'd love a prequel for Catherine Trammell as well. 
That'd be cool. Uh, and so she uh, totally just drops Zach, and Zach even says, you know, you know, don't worry, we're gonna we're gonna keep everything a secret. You know, or you know, as long as you play be ball. the lead, yeah, as long as you be the lead, play the game. We're not gonna tell anyone as long as you make us money. And she she literally spits in his face. Yep. And so then uh, she uh, realizes what she has to do, and uh, you know paints her nails. I love how she paints her nails here, like she's going into battle. I just love it. And um, it's been established, by the way. I forgot to say, Nomi is really good at uh, painting nails. Which which it's like, honey, why don't you just do that for a job? That that's a very pay as well. True, but um, she didn't like feeling like a hooker when she you know did that stuff. And uh, on Cinema Sins when they did this movie, at the part when um when Nomi and Crystal are having lunch, and she's like, I didn't like dancing and cheating. It made me feel like a hooker. The guy says, Is the only reason you became a stripper literally because you didn't want to fill out a W four form? <laughs> 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 yeah, um, but so. So then uh, she goes to Carver's place, and I love how her hair is, like, pulled back. I kind of did to Jess how much I loved her look and her hair at this scene. Elizabeth, Elizabeth Berkeley is, she, she's a beautiful woman, and if you look at her, at her today, she is aged so well. Gorgeous. She, she, is, she is a, like, a gorgeous woman, gorgeous woman. She, she is, and it's, it's... It really is kind of a bummer that this movie happened to her. And I don't mean in how she is in it, because I think, um, you know, she's trying her ass off. You know yes. what I mean? Um, I think that the the had this movie been accepted right off the bat, how it's been today, mm-hmm. I think it would have done better things for her career. You know, oh God, yeah. people took this movie way too serious when it first mm-hmm. came out. And I think that was the uh, yeah. one of the biggest downfalls for her. I mean, it, it, it's it's a it's a bad movie in almost every sense of the word, but but it is yeah, not it's not boring. No, and it's 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 bad in a in a very interesting and fun, yes, and almost lived in kind of like I don't absolutely think movie, I don't think the movie knew it was bad, but I think the people making it kind of figured it out and just kind of went with it. You know what I mean? Like I mean, the, certainly not the actors. No. Certainly not them. No. Um, and so, uh, if you if you want a bad, boring movie about a similar topic, uh, striptease for oh, me God, here that later. That is a boring, boring movie. Um, but anyways, and so so, so she actually kicks... real quick before yeah. we continue, uh, you were mentioning about how much you love her hair. Um, as a girl, <laughs> on the other end of that, um, remembering. Uh, Jesse Spano's hair was always very frizzy and poofy. Mm-hmm. Um, to get her hair slicked back like that, do you know how long it would take with a straightening iron and pomade and brushing it and all this other stuff and just craziness to get that level of sleek, straight hair? I I can imagine. <laughs> um. Thank goodness for hairdressers. Right. 
Right. Someone someone commented years ago on IMDb how like you know how it was clear how trashy Nomi was because despite being the lead you know at the show she's still in the trailer park. I'm like it's been two weeks. She hasn't even gotten her first paycheck. Like, yeah. give her some time. Um, and so she kicks the shit out of Andrew Carver pretty satisfyingly. Um, oh, God, I just, oh, he's so, so gross. He, he, he is gross, not what she did to him. Um, and so she leaves, and then she goes to the hospital and says goodbye to Molly. And this, again, it's like... Fucking poor Molly. It's like you know you, she did so did like everything for you. When when you arrived there, had nothing. She took you in and like that's you just you just leave her at the time that where she needs you the most. Hey, she brought her a teddy bear. Right. Oh, and she <laughs> and she and she's gonna she she'll she'll get a dress shop. Remember. Oh, um, yeah. In the settlement, which you know that's probably not going through anymore because Nomi's gone, but um. Yeah, so so then uh, she goes and sees Crystal, who, Crystal in the scene, I had a, um, a professor when I was in college who, when Crystal was without makeup, looked just like this professor that I had. And I, when I showed this movie to a couple of my college friends who had the same professor, they agreed with me. So you can imagine how good-looking my professor was and people thought it. Uh, yeah. And so, like, Crystal basically says, like, you know, no, I know what you did. I understand. I did the same thing. You know, no hard feelings. I got a really good settlement. It's like, again, wow, in like a week or two, quick lawyers. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's and maybe. True. And we're meant to imply that then, you know, so, uh, and they've already, they already have a billboard up of No Me Alone, as we saw in the last shot. Uh, and so, she they 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 give a the gratuitous you know woman on woman kiss because hello we need it. Um, it's mid nineties. Yeah, pushing yeah, the envelope. Pushing the envelope. Controversial. That's edgy. It is yeah. edgy. Goddamn edgy, edgy. <laughs> uh, what was the movie? Uh, I'm not pronouncing Chuck and Larry that supposedly would have gotten an R if Sandler and James kissed. At that yeah. scene. I read about that. Yeah. Oh. I never saw that one. It's actually fine. I it, mean, it's, they had a lot of fun in it, but um, it obviously hasn't aged that well. But for the no. time, it was yeah. But it's it's one of those things where it's like, uh yeah. It it's not as bad as it could have been. Like yeah, you know, Sandler and his buddies are progressive enough that they avoided <laughs> a lot of it. You know what I yeah. mean? Yeah. The, the the movie's actually kind of kind of like most of Sandler's not garbage films. It has a good heart, and I think mm-hmm. that unlike like Paul Blart, <clears throat> which you saw, I finally saw that movie. Yeah, that's why. That? Oh, oh so like so unfunny. Just not not just not funny. Not a funny movie. Um, Blart. <laughs> yeah, uh, and so then Nomi is hitchhiking again, you know, to leave Vegas, full, full circle, which by the way, it's like, I mean, I get she wanted, you know, to get revenge on Carver, but it's like, like, I I don't know if I would have left that quickly. I mean, I guess, I guess she wanted, she figured they found her out, so she had to leave. Um, But, you know, whatever. And so she has picked up. Well, they weren't coming after her. 
Like, well, well, yeah, I mean, I mean, but before she did that to Carver, I mean, I get why she wanted to do that, but I mean, before, um, oh. yeah, and so in the days of the IMDb message boards, people wrote in like all sorts of alternate endings for this movie that were really funny if she would have stayed in Vegas. Um, and so uh, then she leaves and is picked up by the same guy who she wrote in with, you know, again, what are the chances, serendipitous. That seems to happen, I, that happens to me a lot, me and my family a lot, where we run into people from, from far away that we know. Like in, you weren't there, Jess, but when, when we were in New Orleans, when um, I was at the, uh, the Pride Parade, I ran into someone that was in my grad program. Oh. Yeah, oh. I, I took I took the picture of us. I don't I don't remember. I, I I always forget her name. It's really it's really exotic. But um, yeah, I did, and it's really it happens a lot in our family. It's really odd. Uh, funny enough, one time the was of separation. Yeah, one time was in Vegas. The one time I've been to Vegas when my dad and I went, we were at the an area like around the Hoover Dam, I think, and we ran into someone I. What I was in school with at the time, I was in eighth grade, and I knew he was going to be out there too. And it's just one of those like glitch in the matrix moments, like holy crap, what's going on? You know, I'm not supposed to see you out here. Uh, <laughs> um, so, anyways, that's uh, that's how the movie ends, and we see the LA sign where um, the distance sign to LA, which that was to have implied uh, they, there, were, there were initially plans for a sequel that would have had Nomi uh, arriving in Hollywood and trying to take out um, or uh, take on Hollywood, you know, work her way up there. But obviously it never happened because the movie bombed. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, and I, I would have loved to have seen more of this character. Oh, Absolutely. Yes, I would. I would love to have as well. So, that is uh, Showgirls. Um, yeah, it's just a a gorgeous, just dumpster fire of a movie. It it really <laughs> is. It really is. You know what? And and I gotta say, you know, the these are two heavy hitter movies, right? And you know, yeah. obviously, we were gonna go long. And I just want to applaud both of you for an incredible job <laughs> on talking those both out because yeah. there is a lot of movie <laughs> yeah, in both is. of these. Um, so, uh, you know, what, what's everybody's MVP on this one? Uh, my MVP, I know Jess and I said it uh, when we watched it. It's definitely Molly. Yeah. Uh, actually, my MVP oh. is Mama. Yeah. Like, Mama, Mama is I a close her. second. No, she is my MVP. Mm -hmm. um, for me, I mean. Excuse me? Oh, for, for, for me, I mean, close second. Oh, yeah. She's um, totally supportive of Nomi. You know, um, like, Nomi's like, I'm getting out of here. I'm going to dance at the, what was it, the Mirage? Um, uh, Stardust. The Stardust. And Mom was like, great, that's wonderful. You're finally getting out of here. And the, you know, club owner's like, just go get out of here. You're not worth it. You're not coming back, even if you give me a blowjob. You know, and Mom was just like, yay, good for you. You know, it, it sucks because you're the only one who can get my tits popping. But, you know. <laughs> um, and then, like, they even go visit her one night while she's dancing. And there's, that was sweet. There's, 
there's a comment that I didn't appreciate or a line that I didn't appreciate in there that um, they were like, oh, Nomi, your mom's here. And she's like, my mom. And she's like, I hope for your sake she's not, you know. And I mean, this person is a larger person and loud and brash and over the top. And I, I don't appreciate, you know, that. But. I love Mama. I think she's great. Yeah. Uh, she was in Nomi's corner the entire time. Like, you know, while they're waiting for Nomi, she's standing on the stage telling jokes to this, like, big, empty theater. Because, you know, mm -hmm. she's never going to get there, but why not use it while she can? That's very true. I didn't like the part where she was like, well, and... I, I, don't, I didn't like the part where she's like, well, good for her. La-di-da-di-da. -di -da. She'll be back. You know, I, I, yeah. I didn't, I, they, they should have cut that out. I, I didn't like her saying that. It kind of, it kind of was like, uh, you know, but whatever. Um, I don't remember that part. Yeah, I it was what, yeah, it was. Her, it's her playing caddy to keep up appearance more than anything else. Yeah. I can see that. I can see that, so, definitely. So. The critical uh, reception. Yes. So the critical consensus is 23 on Rotten Tomatoes. 23 critical critics and only 37 audience. It has 50,000 yeah. plus ratings on the audience. Right. Holy shit. <laughs> yeah. And I want to read, um, I want to touch on really quickly kind of the, um, uh, again, actors that were up for Nomi Malone for the lead. Uh, yeah. It was initially offered that the roles of Nomi Malone and Crystal Connors were offered to Drew Barrymore and Madonna. They both oh, turned them down, of course. Uh, for Nomi Malone, Pam Anderson, Angelina Jolie, Jenny McCarthy, Denise Richards, and Charlize Theron all auditioned or were considered. Charlize Theron claims it was her first... Um, uh, like her first major audition and said she was like the second choice. Wow. Mm -hmm. And uh, I don't think she'd have the career she has now if she got it. That Probably is a, not. That is a who's who of, of like, yeah. damn. Like yeah. any one of those people would have been like, wow. Mm -hmm. Like if they had ended up in this role. Cause I don't know, like the material just on the page just isn't good. And I don't mean that in like a, oh, it's it, it just it's it's gonna take somebody that can do not good well, and I feel like all of those people would have drowned in it a little bit, you yeah. know, as weird as like including um you know uh, our Saved by the Bell um <laughs> you know alumni here agreed, yeah, and for um uh uh Crystal Connors. It was uh, Sharon Stone, not surprising. Yeah, yeah not surprising Sha at all. Sean Young. Wow. Daryl Hannah. And Fignola Hughes, hashtag do a blossom reboot. <laughs> wow. Yeah, oh, I was remember her. But she was the mom in Blossom, and she was on All My Children yeah. for years. Oh, okay. Yeah. And... Um, my you know new show is going to bomb. It's like, just do Blossom. You know who I'm really surprised isn't in this conversation at all was Diane mm. Lane. No, no. It just is surprising I, to me. You bring up I could have seen her. 
Yeah. You know, especially later on, she she came back in as like the the cougar of like the rebooted erotic thriller genre for a few mm-hmm. years, right? Like right. she was in a few like heavy hitter movies where she yeah. showed up as like, God damn, like you can still do this. Wow. True. Yeah. And I wanna um yeah, and so as you know, it was a total mess, you know. Berkeley was dropped by her agent. It kill it killed her career. Um you know, no, nobody suffered as much as Elizabeth Berkeley after this movie. It destroyed her career, and it's only recently that she really has come around and embraced it. And I don't know if you watched that video I posted in the chat about where she... It was uh, Pride in 2015, two days after the Supreme Court handed down the marriage ruling, and where she just, you know, talks about how she loves how embraced it is. It's really, it's really sweet. And... Um, you know, it, it, it also destroyed the NC-17 rating. Yep. Uh, yep. It's the, the first and only NC-17 film to get a wide release in theaters. Never happened since. Uh, yeah. Wild. I want to close on this um, blurb from Roger Ebert's review. <laughs> uh, he, gave it, he gave it two stars. Pretty uh, mildly, mildly negative. Showgirls is the first big-budget, adults-only movie in a few years, and to be sure, it contains so much nudity that the sexy parts are when the girls put their clothes on. It contains no true eroticism, however, and that's why I think it reflects a grounding in sexual fantasy. Eroticism requires a mental connection between two people, while masturbation requires only the other person's image. Wow. I think that's very true. Good old Roger Ebert, like yeah. you know, the, the the guy is a smart is a smart guy. Like he, yeah. uh... hey, uh, Stefan, didn't you have like a really really cool headcanon about Showgirls? Yeah, so so my headcanon, and some I've thought for years, is that um, uh, Showgirls and Saved by the Bell are in the same universe, and that. Elizabeth Berkeley is just, or sorry, I mean, uh, Lonnie Malone is an alternate version of Jesse Spano, specifically after the show ended, because, uh, I don't know, are you too familiar with the, the wedding in Las Vegas, when Zach and Kelly got married? Yes. Uh, right. I know they got married there, but I don't really remember the show. Yep. So, she appears uh, as the wedding is happening jesse and so and she has the blonde hair looks it looks a lot like Mimi malone and it was uh it came out around the same time as showgirls was filmed late 94 oh. uh yeah and i think it could be definitely like maybe a um a hallucination if you may that jesse spano had after finally you know going crazy uh i'm tying this into specifically her the um, uh, uh, Henrietta, the strip club mama, how everyone oh, yeah. called her, her, everyone called her mama. Remember, um, Slater mm-hmm. called her that repeatedly, much to her mm-hmm. chagrin. Yeah. Oh damn. Yeah, and um, Zach was the entertainment director, like Zach Morris, and he kind of he seemed like a Zach Morris in some ways. <laughs> yeah, and then her uh, addiction to cocaine. The caffeine pills. Yeah. There you go. I'm so excited. Right. I'm so, I'm so excited. excited. I'm so scared. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck.
forever iconic. Um, yeah, that's uh, that's kind of my theory. So what you're saying is Showgirls isn't just the camp classic of the 90s. Paul Verhoeven and Joe Esterhouse were putting together this incredible alternate reality version of Saved by the Bell, and we were all just too dumb to realize it. Sure. Wow. I'm wondering if, you know, Jesse was just straight up sick of being a good girl and was just like, screw this. I'm going to go have fun and make some money. That too. I want to hang around a bunch of people and have them call me a prostitute all the time. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And get me some Versace. Yeah. (laughs) Well, awesome. That's wild. Versace is pretty nice. So yeah, wow. Um, Showgirls and Basic Instinct. How did our social media battle poll do for this one, Jess? Uh, well, I could not get a poll up on Facebook. So going forward, it's just going to be the Twitter polls. Yeah, how do we and do? So you can find us at Fighting Films Podcast on Twitter, and we had a whopping three votes. So um, I don't know if that was just the three of us voting or if we had some listeners voting, uh, but we had Showgirls come out at 66.7% ahead of Basic Instinct at 33.3% in our director spotlight, uh, which movie do you like better poll? Interesting. I prefer, okay, I will say Basic Instinct is a better dumb film but showgirls to me is just way more fun to watch yeah like it, it all depends for me on like showgirls is def- yeah well showgirls is definitely the product of two people that um were in in over their head but too big about their britches on like you know um Esther Howes and Schumacher were obviously not Schumacher. So well, Schumacher. Wow, Joel Schumacher's version of this movie would be a sight to see. But um, uh, <laughs> dark uh, gothic Esther, imagery. Yes, yeah. Esther Howes and Paul Verhoeven were definitely in the. You know, they had a huge hit with Basic Instinct, right? So it's yeah. like we we have reinvented the erotic thriller. We can do no wrong. We're gonna make an NC seventeen rated movie, and you know, maybe Esther Howes intended for it to be high camp. Maybe he just didn't realize, or maybe it was the actors and how they portrayed it. But there's just something like that's a perfect storm about Showgirls, and it did so much bad for people like Berkeley and has been so embraced that I feel like Showgirls is the more important movie of the two of them in a negative and positive way. It did a lot of bad, but it's also done a lot of good in bringing people together. So it's kind of like basic instinct. Yeah. You know, if you're going to talk about what movies Paul Verhoeven made that, you know, I mean, this is the total recall RoboCop um, you know, guy like this, this is, you know, this guy has made incredible films. Basic Instinct is a good film and Showgirls is a um, uh, an amazing tire fire of a movie, as, as, as Stefan put it. <laughs> but I don't know. I, to me, the edge goes to Showgirls a little bit just because it's so much goddamn fun. Yes, that's to me. I don't know. For me, you just you have to be in a certain mood to watch either of them. Um, Mm -hmm. There's not a lot of comic relief in uh, Basic Instinct. It's definitely your 
uh, thriller, dramatic, mystery type of thing with the twists and all that. And you've definitely got a lot going on. Whereas Showgirls is definitely more of a campy romp. Yeah, mm-hmm. correct. Correct. So yeah, that, there, there's that. Um, you know, I for a director spotlight, you know, it's it's less about which movie comes up on top, and you know, more about just celebrating someone. And you know, I, you know, for for a fighting film, it's great to pit two very similar movies from a guy against each other and just see how they play out. And you know, I, I think this was a fascinating discussion. Um, so any any final thoughts, you guys, before we uh, before we send this thing off into the sun? Uh, well, if you liked this director spotlight, we will be doing one a month. So be prepared for that. And I believe next month we've got creature features coming up. Awesome. Stefan, how about you? Um, yeah, um, you know, follow us on. Facebook and Twitter and yeah, be sure to vote in the polls. We want to, you know, we want to hear from you, you know, you can message the group directly. Awesome. Yes. We do want to hear from you and share and talk and interact. That's the best part of all of this. Um, For fighting films, this has been Chris and Stefan and Jess, and let's just keep those films fighting and keep the discussion going. And we'll talk to you guys soon. Bye. Bye. Okay, um, I'll, I'll blurp a little intro so it f- fits into, um, I can just shove it in anywhere, but... Uh, Careful, everybody, he's going to blurp. I'm going to blurp. <laughs> Watch out, here comes the blurp, everybody. Blurp. No, um... <clears throat>